0: 出
1: so wait. what?
2: Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Heroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast. I'm John and with me as always is my co-host Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks John. How are you? I'm fine too. A bit tired from the marathon of movies that we've been watching but otherwise doing pretty well. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Looking yeah. forward to hearing your opinions on them. Yeah, well and we'll get to them soon enough. So this is another special episode of Heroic Purgatory where we again take a break from our coverage of 90s Asian cinema to talk about uh, a very exciting topic at, an, at and that is the upcoming New York Asian Film Festival. Uh, the episode is coming of course as you know the ones who are listening, uh, it's coming a week late. Uh however, you know a couple of episodes ago we released a week early so I feel like balance is restored. Uh, but we wanted to do this. we want to take an extra week to watch as many film as, po- as many movies from the festival as as possible. and for that, I would like to take the time to thank to thank very much the organizers of the New York Asian Film Festival who made this possible for us, and also for bringing all these greats, all these great uh, Asian films into North America through their festival as they do every year. Uh, but before we get into our coverage of, uh, what we consider to be our most notable films or the films that we liked, at least of the New York Asian Film Festival, we'll do our usual, uh, bit where we talked about what we've been, uh, watching, uh, or reading the last couple of weeks. And I think the answer is already obvious from my introduction, but why don't we go ahead and do it anyway? So Jason, what have you been doing since last time we spoke? Uh gorging myself on Asian films thanks to the organizers
0: of the New York Asian Film Festival. So I watched quite a few over the last uh time we've recorded. And um I've continued my marathoning of the X-Files. They've finally been pulled from Amazon Prime, uh today. How far did you get? I got midway through season four when I decided that I would just buy box sets for seasons one, two, four, five and six. Okay, and I picked the best episodes from season seven and eight because I've already watched the series before. I've got a good idea of which ones I liked and which ones I didn't.
2: I would be willing to bet that I mean the it's a com it's a popular enough series that you can probably look at your local library. I'm sure they'll have DVDs of it. It, it, That's
0: uh, probably true. What I decided to do was just get used box sets, so they ran about uh, two to three pounds,
2: yeah, including
0: delivery yeah it's the kind of, uh, while while I was rewatching it, I just felt like I could watch this watch each episode again and again and again <laughs> I really enjoyed it, especially coming back to it like um i don't know 15, uh, fifteen twenty years later okay and um apart from that I've uh, just been working and um finished doing the patio today oh nice, nice, so a real contrast of things,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, like you, I have mostly been focusing on on trying to watch as many films as possible from the New York Asian Film Festival, and I'm sure I've done other things uh, in the meanwhile, but I don't remember many many of them. I do remember that I finished um, that I finished the Halo three, uh, because like, I talked about it, I've been playing. I finally finished the last item, the last game on the trilogy, so that was nice. I have been I don't know if I mentioned this last time because I've been doing it for a while, but I've been watching occasionally episodes of. Father Ted? Oh, okay. And I don't know if this is going to come out as uh disrespectful but do the Irish have a special way of pronouncing the word film cuz that's been driving me insane. Gee, I've never thought about it to be honest. It's I don't know if it's just me or there's something just just something special about how I don't know anyway. It just I, I can't help but focus on that. But uh that's that's pretty much it for me in addition to uh to the uh, uh N Y A A F F so now that we're through that, we're, we have our news segment and I, I've been so busy with this that this is probably our biggest news item and we'll mention it uh, when we go deeper into the festival about dates and all that. But is there anything else, anything else newsworthy that you feel we should uh, include in this segment, Jason? Uh, nothing really caught my attention, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, this probably is. And we just kind of missed it because we've been so busy. you know. And of course, people should remember that we this is not our main job we also have lives outside of this that we're usually (laughs) at least speaking for myself like it takes quite a bit of my time and this is something extra on the side so i did not have time to sort of peruse my usual sources and see what else is going on in the asian cinema world outside there while that might be it i think the biggest thing is probably the new york asian film festival
0: oh um japan cuts announced its lineup that's true yeah it was August twenty-two or something, uh, August twenty-second to September second, was it? Something like that. Let me check. Right, um, Japan cuts twenty twenty-one was announced, and it runs from Friday, August twentieth to Thursday,
2: September second. Okay, nice to know. So people can keep an eye out of that, and we might, depending on on how we feel, we might also do a special on that one. Although it will have to be probably, uh, fairly soon since there's two or three that's in two to three weeks from from today, which is also the day that the episode should come out. It
0: starts when the New York Asian Film Festival finishes. So if you're in North America and you really want to continue marathoning Asian films, uh or watching new Asian films, this uh these two festivals have got you covered.
2: And you said the lineup has come out. Did you notice do you remember any specific overlaps? Was there much overlap, at least in obviously in the Japanese film. it's only, between between this and the Japan Japan cuts? No, they don't share any titles at all. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that's even more more to watch for a reasonable fee. And is it and I'm assuming it's also that it's going to be either the entirety of it or a portion online? Uh, more than half it seems is online. Oh, that's
0: fantastic. So they've got some in-person screenings, but you've got quite a lot
2: online. All right. So I think that's it for our new segment. And it was nice and short. So now we can jump straight ahead into our discussion and coverage of the New York Asian uh, Film Festival. And just uh, would you, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Jason, but would you like to start off with some basic details about the festival? When it's taking place? What is the format, etc? So uh, the New York Asian Film Festival is going to
0: run from August 6th to August 22nd. Uh, the opening film is an in-person screening of Escape from Mogadishu and, um, the closing film is Sinkhole. Um, you've got films from Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, the Philippines, Singapore, Kazakhstan, Myanmar, and Malaysia. And there are also films, uh, from the Asian American community as well. And, uh, crucially, uh, it's going to be split between online and in-person screenings. So you're best to check the websites to see um, which films are going to be available.
2: Um, yeah. So there there are. For, this is for the second time in a row where the festival is going online because it was entirely online last year, if I remember correctly. Yes, due to COVID. Yes, and now is some films are online only some films are in person only and i believe there's also a selection of films that are available both in person and online either on the same date or different date so again we're gonna link we're gonna i'm gonna post the relevant links on the website as usual and you make sure to to browse through the films and confirm that they are available online or if you live in the new york area i suppose you can also um look at the in-person films but i believe From what I counted when he was when the list was made available, the majority of films are going to be available online. And that just means more than half. It should also be mentioned that there's going
0: to be a free screening of uh, New Dragon Gate in. So that's definitely something worth checking out. Yeah. And that's would you like to give us some details about what that film is? Oh, so it's a, a 90s Wu movie starring uh, Maggie Chung, Bridget Lin, and Donnie Yen. And um, it's a remake of Dragon Inn, which I believe was directed by King Hu, right?
2: I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't look it up. I didn't uh, I didn't do my due diligence. Ah, well. And is that a free screening in person or is that a free screening online? It's
0: a free outdoor screening at
2: the restart stage
0: at okay, so in New York. Park. Yeah. And um it's to celebrate it's like an anniversary uh screening um because New York Asian Film Festival uh did some restoration work on it.
2: Okay, nice. So you can find all this information at nyaff.org if you go there. But I'll, I'll also include the links in the description of course, but if you're just listening and you want to check it out right now Go to nyaf.org, and that's where you find all the information about the New York Asian Film Festival. And I got to tell you, I uh, there was some good films in there. And just to be clear, they're not they're not paying us to say good things about them. It is a legitimately great festival with great selections, and um, and it is if you know along with Japan Cuts, with we mentioned in the news section, it is probably the biggest festival for Asian films in North America. And may Maybe even in the West in general. I'm not sure if there's any other festival that you can sort of uh, claim to be bigger than the NYAF, AFF.
0: I suppose in terms of Asian films, uh, you've got Udin Far East Film Festival in Italy and Nippon Connection in Germany, um, Camera Japan uh, in Holland, but these are all European-based. Um, if you're in North America, New York Asian Film Festival and uh Japan
2: cuts uh, the festivals to head to exactly so if you are interested in in checking out newer film films mostly released in 2021 and late 2020 uh this is the with a few exceptions of course but uh, this is the this is the festival to check out so we if you're we highly encourage you the the especially for the films online the prices are reasonable For some reason, I can't can't quite find the prices right now on the website as I'm looking at them. Maybe I need to click on the individual film that I'm interested in or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure there's something
0: in the press release. Let me just uh, look it up. Because I did mention the prices in the last episode. I do remember that, yeah. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, New York Asian Film Festival will be... um, streamed through lincoln center virtual cinema from august 7th to the 22nd and in-person uh screenings or in-person venues uh you have films screened at the lincoln center from august 6th to the 8th um at the walter reed theater 165 west 65th street that's the address (laughs) Um, and there will also be screens at the sva theater august 9th to the 22nd and that's a 333 west 23rd Street. Um, ticket pricing breaks down like this. Um, tickets are already on sale and they're $12 each for the general public, $9.60 for Film at Lincoln Center members, um, and that's for virtual titles. And you get $150 discounted, uh, all access pass for all virtual titles. Um, for in person tickets, uh, it's Single ones, $15 each for the general public, $12 for students, and um, there are other concessions available. And you can get a $60 pass for six films at Film at Lincoln Center, uh, and uh $250 pass for an in-person pass for screenings at the SVA theater.
2: Okay. So for online, just to clarify, it's for non-members, it's $12 per, per film, or $150 for the entire collection that they are... Uh, Screening, Yes. And it's a a lot of films. So if you buy the pass for the entire collection, you get, uh, I'm not necessarily recommending you do that, you know, I I would personally just buy the ones, the films that I want to watch. But if I want to watch, for example, more than uh, eight or nine films, I think that's how it works out. Then the the pass is probably uh, more reasonable because you end up paying a lot less per film. Yeah, because there's definitely more than ten films in the in the, the, the collection. I think. Yeah,
0: so hundred fifty dollar discounted, FLC so Film at Lincoln Center all access pass for all virtual titles, and there are sixty titles
2: available. uh well, not all of them check, are online. But uh, check uh, which titles are available. Yeah. Okay, and I'll I'll be sure to see if I can find a link with directly where you can buy these. Uh. Uh, uh okay which i actually as i'm speaking now i find it it's, it was right in front of me for some reason it says click here for all access passes uh but for some reason it, <laughs> i was not seeing that he was even though it was right in front of me okay so yeah flc all access pass six films package for 60 bucks and one hundred and fifty four virtual pass and it's right here okay it was right in front of me the whole time uh $10 for member $12 for uh student seniors and persons similarly and $15 for general public okay okay sounds good I think we can both agree it's very generous yes I think I think it's a great deal especially because it gives you the opportunity to watch films that don't necessarily see a would see a regular release Yeah, you might get an occasional film like Parasite but you will it'll come out to cinemas and you don't have to chase them down festivals but for most of these films are likely not going to see a general release in the united states at least uh so this is a great opportunity for for you what uses usually the price of a regular tick cinema ticket anyway to see these films indeed okay uh so any any other information about the festival in general that uh we you think we need to mention before we dive into our actual film discussions and i'll explain to the audience exactly how we're going to do that but Is there anything else you feel like we should talk about before getting into that? Uh, No, I think we can launch straight ahead yeah so just uh, like you already mentioned the countries it's mostly you know the the usual uh, suspects you know Japan South Korea China Hong Kong Taiwan but there is there is you know at least one or two films from a lot of other countries I was I was surprised to see Myanmar and Kazakhstan in there it's usually you don't usually see those so that was that was an interesting addition I, I have not seen Myanmar's entry uh, but I'd be curious to check that out I maybe maybe after after this recording goes out hmm I did have the opportunity to watch uh, the Kazakhs,
0: uh, the entry from Kazakhstan. Okay, cool.
2: Okay, so now that we've given hopefully uh, enough information, and of course, you're more than welcome to ask us through either in, on Twitter or on our website through comments on how um, on more details of the festival, we'll, we'll be happy to to direct you into the appropriate source for that. But for now, we'll go into our main discussion. And just you know, like we said, there are over sixty films either in person or online on this festival, and it would just it was impossible for us to to watch all of them, let alone discuss all of them. That would that would have been a, a a very very difficult task. So what we decided to do is to watch as many films as we could. That's why we took we took a week extra, and then sort of each of us will rank will create a top five list so we will li- we will mention our what we thought were the our favorite five not necessarily the best of us that's subjective but what we thought were our favorite five and we'll just go down the list alternating uh between my top five and jason's top five and then we'll sort of discuss and say what we liked about them and to you know get the other person's uh, opinion and so forth so that's sort of the r- route that we decided to go so each of us will only mention five films. We don't know each other's five. So I have no idea what Jason's favorite five are and Jason doesn't know unless he's a psychic. I don't think which I don't think he is. Uh he doesn't know what my five are. Uh so, so so go ahead. Yeah, watching the X-Files has not conferred any special powers upon me unfortunately. He can take it can take up to 4-8 to weeks. Weeks to to, to, for those effects to take effect <laughs> i'm still I'm still waiting for five g from the
0: vaccine <laughs>
2: okay good yeah yeah <laughs> uh but so that's that's sort of how we decided to do it, and then of course, after we've uh mentioned up to Five, we you know discuss any agreements or disagreements, maybe I'll be deeply offended by one of jason's uh picks or vice versa, uh which is unlikely because there like i didn't watch every film in the festival, but i there wasn't any that. Uh, I, I, I that made me think, oh, this is horrible. How the hell did it make it into the festival? No, they were mostly pretty good selections. Obviously, some were better than others and some were, you know, uh, more more pleasant than others. But n- none of them that were a complete uh, none of them that I would ask my money back. Let's just let's just put it that way. Um but after we do our top 5 maybe we'll mention our honorable mentions or you know discuss a few honorable mentions that didn't make it into top 5 but they're also you know perhaps perhaps uh worth, worthy watches if you're looking into to introduce yourself into interesting new asian cinema etc and then we'll give our overall impressions of the festivals and and do our usual um closing of the episode so any questions about our procedure Jason uh, no good to go Okay, so why don't you start and tell me what your number five is? so um it's been really difficult to rank the films um yeah let me let me just so yeah, it's been extremely difficult i I just before before letting you go it was I was revising this list until maybe 30 minutes ago or so, because I was still debating exactly what to include. And it were my reasons for including something, you know, my selection criteria good enough, and I was revising those as well. So it was a challenging task. There were some really good films, or at least there were more than five good films, were great films that I really wanted to include. But because we made that arbitrary limit of five, I kind of had to make some tough decisions. But sorry to interrupt you, please go on. Yeah, um, there are so many um, high-quality
0: titles, um, some of which I've uh, seen before, um, a lot which were new to me, um, so it's very difficult to um, make this list. Um, uh, My entry at number five uh, would have to be Samjin Company English Class, which uh, we briefly talked about this um, at the outset of our uh, our viewing period, and uh, we both agreed that it was an enjoyable film. This is set in Korea in 1995, I believe, and um, it's all about um, office ladies at Samjin Company. It's like an electronics manufacturer, and um, they attend an English class, a TOEIC English class, uh, where they're promised if they get a score above 600, they can get um, promotion, uh, a promotion to assistant manager. And um, one of the uh, people attending the class. she finds out about an ethanol uh, discharge that happens regularly at a factory and she witnesses a a village affected by this ethanol discharge and she becomes uh, part of a small trio uh, which later expands trying to uncover the sort of uh, goings-on why the ethanol discharge is happening and um, who's trying to cover it up and uh, it's a very serious subject based on real subject matter but the approach is like a a screwball comedy at times like sparkling dialogue um very witty sort of firecracker characters and um it's a really well shot film um very glossy so even though it's serious it's, it's also enjoyable it i mean it's a proper comedy indeed you've got these distinctly drawn characters who get into personality clashes there's like a comedy of um misperceptions uh and uh culture clash as well um because you've got americans getting involved and um there's also a heist element to it in certain parts so it's, it's very surprising
2: yeah there was uh for for one thing i like uh it said in 95 in 1995 and there was i forget that this is a title card or if this is a um... Uh, some, a, a line of dialogue, but it's, it, it says right there at the beginning of the film, the first year of our globalization. Uh, and that is indeed, I don't know if it's the first year, but it is indeed, you know, immediately after the, you know, 89 uh, change of government, so to speak. I'm not sure if it's called it a revolution, but, you know, where South Korea was democratized and it was sort of entered into the free, you know, the the global free market, so to speak and uh and you know it began to sort of become a, an economic powerhouse and uh, a lot of these sort of became relevant in korean culture for the first time in their modern history
0: yeah this ties in quite uh beautifully with some of the films we've watched and um, the discussions we've had about the asian financial crisis because we get a glimpse at sort of the office culture that existed at the time Um at, And uh, sort of the pressures put upon uh, women in the workplace, um, and uh, like one of the major scandals at the time, as well as um, Korea's push to become a major global player on the world stage, and that's what the English class ties into—the sense that all of these people, all of these workers,
2: uh, want to help push the brand globally. Yeah, and it's also it so it shows how sort of in this. Race the globalization into race to become you know economically relevant into the world stage. How South Korea is adopting uh, the, everything from uh, you know sort of Western culture and that is corporate culture uh, and you know the English class is a symbol of that. And something that I found infinitely fascinating: shoulder pads. Although I'm pretty sure by 90s shoulder pads in America were probably a, a forgotten fad, but a lot of the women in uh, in this film were wearing shoulder pads. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would be I Sony Walkmen
0: and um, Boomboxes and all sorts of things that show Koreas importing different
2: cultures. Exactly, and it necessarily they're importing, of course, you know things that are useful for them going forward, but they're also necessar- they're important also, perhaps the more negative uh, aspects of what sort of people often criticize about global capitalism or modern capitalism. And that's sort of at the forefront of this, but I I I didn't necessarily think the movie was necessarily was focusing too much of that. I felt it was more of a feminist piece where it was you know whoever the the directors were trying to put the the sort of the challenges of the women in the workplace, like you mentioned, at sort of the forefront. And the whole other issue of okay, polluting the river is not 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 less important, but I I thought it I thought it was a bit secondary to sort of the the, the feminist aspects of the film
0: yeah well um pollution it comes as part of that um race to globalize or oh, make the country um make a country's um businesses and industry uh global players um you see it in china now where they're reckoning with environmental problems and exactly also in japan in the in like in the 90s uh 80s and 90s where they had to sort of Address uh environmental issues, but uh yeah, this is very much about women in the workplace, and um it depicts their sort of their travails and also like uh, the the their capacity and the way they're not utilized efficiently in the office. It was some brilliant montages which shows that the characters are really the grease that helps the wheel that the the cogs turn in the office. The men couldn't get anything done without the women being there to do all the little tasks or arrange things for them.
2: Exactly. And it's it's funny how it comes at the end where, you know, like they, they're able to recognize the culprit by the spoons of sugar. It's only in the end, it's somewhere somewhere close to the end, I think, where they recognize who is involved or one of the people involved because she makes the coffee for they make the coffee for the men of the office every day and they know exactly all the peculiarities of how each of their male employees takes their coffee which I thought it was a pretty clever plot line. Yeah, like um did you have a favorite character in this? Uh my favorite character I I, I will not remember names but it was the math whiz. Ram. Okay. Yeah. So I will uh, apologize in advance for any of the films that we're going to talk about. It's unlikely that I'll remember any of the names unless I'm, I'm terrible. I usually like like I i've uh in my notes i have her as math whiz with glasses <laughs> and then the another one is shoulder pads and then the uh, the main character i just have her as main character in my notes so i i am terrible with names so uh as, as as our audience will surely know by now the yeah the the three leading ladies have a lot of fun to watch they've got
0: great chemistry together the, and great chemistry and great acting as well Indi- each individually and together indeed and um I'm sure audiences will be able to sort of, like, uh, get behind one, or one of the three, at the very least. Um, yeah, Boram came off as my favorite, and I think she was the one that did the whole um, sugar thing as well, to do the calculations.
2: Yes, well, she did the calculation trying to, in the beginning, before they knew about all the details, about how much of that, um, I forget what the substance was, uh, had leaked into... Uh, into the, the river, she sort of did a few quick calculation based on the diameter and the time that it could not have been the trace amounts that the company was initially alleging, uh, which is a fairly reasonable thing to do even in the real world. Yeah. Um. One, one scene that really stuck out to me, and this was one of the f- early, earliest films that I watched several days ago. So I don't remember every detail, but one scene that particularly stuck out to me was when, um, the main character, after she's discovered the leak, she pressures one of her main colleagues to go to a superior and she he doesn't want to he doesn't want to get involved, which is sort of typical of corporate culture at this stage of Asian history, even today, maybe I don't really know. Uh, and so she kind of pressures him about to reveal the leak to one of uh, their superiors and he doesn't want to. And sort of he goes there and uh kind of tells that and he of course the boss is kind of grateful that he brought this to his attention so he kind of gets the credit for for doing that even though he didn't do anything and then even in the same scene she just kind of lurks around trying to eavesdrop on their conversation and kind of and uses the excuse of bringing coffee to her boss as that but she's so quiet and so uh so sneaky about that she just quietly puts the coffee on the desk and just kind of walks around and then like seconds later you see the boss picking up the coffee cup and uh sort of drinking it and he probably hasn't even realized how the coffee ended up there he just takes it for granted that there is a a whole subset of employees that kind of quietly and efficiently do all the work for them including something as simple as bringing the coffee yeah i
0: like how um the ladies actually play off um different managers against each other and and sometimes a crisis is averted because there's uh rivalries between say the son of the owner and um a a department chief who's always had to pick up after him and like they'll have a great argument on the shop floor it's just really good you can't predict where it's going to go
2: yes absolutely absolutely and the the guy the, uh, the the english the american guy who speaks the speaking of learning english uh none of the main characters that are taking english none of their english really improves throughout the movie it's terrible in the beginning and it's gonna remain terrible the end although that's more of an acting thing than a i think we're just as a career audience supposed to kind of take it for granted that they do get better as time goes on yeah like some of the most crucial evidence is gathered by their english teacher they they
0: recruit him to talk to and
2: even in the end they kind of have him talk on the phone with the uh, I don't know, with the Americans or something. Yeah. yeah. The the American guy though, his Korean seem pretty good. Although maybe a Korean would say, nah, that's terrible Korean. Yeah, I don't know enough Korean to be able to tell,
0: but uh he's acting in movies, so
2: <laughs> Yeah. Well uh, I, I mean I'm I'm very quick to criticize uh, when when koreans or, or asians asian films when they speak english and it's bad but of course you know any american or or english speaker who's trying to do the same in their language is probably criticized or probably thought of as uh with the same incompetence
1: mm.
2: so that's probably fair fair to mention. uh but yeah i uh so this did just a to, to, spoiler to, to get this did not make it into my top five although it probably should have there's this one was one of the contenders that sort of even till the end I debated it and I uh, I included it. I was going to include it at number five as well, but then I, I kind of went in favor of another film, mostly for political, not not political, but mostly for uh, trying to rationalize my um, thought process and to what should be included and not. But it was a great film. I, I thought it was a bit cartoonish at times. And uh, especially towards the end, I felt the resolution felt a little bit as you know it's it seemed to me that any um reasonable uh, like uh, them ganging up on like i thought the 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 plot line with uh, with them informing the shareholder shareholders and forcing a vote was clever, but the confrontation with them in that room seemed a little bit drawn out seemed a little bit of you know in the real world the boss would just walked out and try to do everything in in a lot more quiet manner so he wouldn't get the backlash that he did call the lawyers yeah exactly so it 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 felt you know for for a for ninety a, percent a of the film being you know a comical but albeit relevant and somewhat realistic film that end ending confrontation felt it a little bit of uh, I don't want to say melodramatic, but felt a little bit of wishful thinking on behalf of the people, which was, you know, fine. You know, the film has to end on a positive note. You can't you can't have the corporate guys win, which is usually what happens in real life. Oh, yeah, this is a, a crowd pleaser and there's like elements of um,
0: nationalism in it, because like the push to solve the crisis or to confront the boss happens when everybody finds out, spoiler alert, um, that... Uh, they're going to be taken over by Americans and then a Japanese company. Exactly. And it's the sense that they would be happy working uh, under exploitative conditions run by Koreans rather than Japanese, not the Japanese.
2: Yeah. Oh, and even, and even you know, she still wants to, she doesn't, she wants, if I remember correctly, still, till the very end, she, she claims this company is the best company. So they definitely, the, the film is not out to uh, kind of, uh, criticize the system in any way is just the few bad apples that are trying to take advantage of it. Um, it It at least that's how it seemed to me on a on a single watch yeah I'd agree okay so uh, my number five is I struggled the most because I sort of was as I was watching them I was listing my my top I was I was making my top as I was going along and I was. I realized that I was not including any comedies in it, and I sort of. I have this. Uh, I recognize this weakness of mine that I tend to dismiss comedies sometimes. So I, I needed to include a comedy. So it was. That's why uh, I considered. You know, the Sam Jean Company English class. I considered Ninja Girl, and then I also considered All You Need Is Love, the Hong Kong film, and that's what I went with. So my number five is All You Need Is Love. I, I don't know if you got to, got around to seeing this one, Jason. No, I totally missed out on it. Can you? um explain more so yes so it is a a comedy centered around the coronavirus so it is it is a um a, a sort of a, it features an ensemble ca- cast of unrelated uh people and various storylines that sort of all take place in this one hotel that is put under quarantine for 14 days and it's essentially just a bunch of disjointed stories of individual characters or of group of characters in this hotel. For example, you have this uh, couple that um, that uh, are sort of struggling through their marriage and being in quarantine together for 14 days just makes things worse. Uh, you have these two gangsters from the, the heads of these two gangster families that are just kind of stuck. And they're not only stuck in the same uh, hotel, but they're stuck in the same room just because the hotel is full and they didn't have any of us to put them. And then you have the boss of the hotel. He's actually trying to get out of quarantine and he's coming up with all sort of ridiculous ways uh to to escape the hotel because he doesn't want to be in quarantine. Uh, like uh, like at one point he hires some guy to show him to bring him a parachute, and he says, "Can you?" Can you show me how to work it? And the guy just jumps off the building and the parachute malfunctions. So he just falls, (laughs) (laughs) falls to the ground. Um, And it's a very, I wouldn't call it a Stephen Chow style comedy, but it has elements of it. And in fact, it is directed by one of his frequent collaborators in the 90s. Okay. Um, It's also stars, like it stars the lady. It doesn't star. She makes a cameo appearance. Uh, the lady from um, um, uh, what's uh, the movie Sha- uh, uh, Kung Fu Hustle? Uh, uh, she she makes a cameo in it. Jackie Chan has a cameo in it in the film. Wow, uh, he appears as one of the pandemic uh, pandemic uh, response teams, and he just appears uh, appears for like a minute, and then he kicks someone off like several windows, and then just uh, has like a, a little scene, and then disappears. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a funny film. It um uh, it, it's an all star cast, of course, and it was made specifically as a sort of to uh, by several uh, production companies in Hong Kong during quarantine as or during the. Coronavirus, well, I'm saying it as though it is a thing of the past. It's still very much going on as of the time of this recording. But it was made at sort of at the height of it, and it was sort of a statement to support the film industry in Hong Kong, which was uh, taking a hit as a result of corona. Right. Um, And it is really... It's not not a great film. It's not, in my honorable mentions, I think there are better films than this. But it is a very funny, entertaining film. And I, I just... I liked the reason behind its production so much that I felt that's why I mentioned sort of political reasons, sort of that I, I felt like I had to include this one over any of the other comedies that I was considering instead of this one. But that was sort of my reasoning for including this one. It's, you know, I needed, I felt like I needed to include a comedy and of all the comedies that I had seen this, I just, I just couldn't help but kind of include this one because it is a very funny film. um, And it's, uh it's like a bit silly at times. Uh, especially, especially with the two gangsters, though the, the, they were my favorite, uh, my favorite part. They they got into some really t- like ridiculous antics together, uh, and they sort of ends up in like you know, the usual way where they end up becoming friends at the end, of course. Um, and it's funny because they start in the film just to to give. This is like a like talking about a Stephen Chow films. It's there are, the moments are sort of more noteworthy than the film as a whole. But they're sort of discussing, they're trying to enter into an agreement at the beginning of the film before the quarantine is actually taking place. And uh, they're talking about all the things that they smuggle. And it turns out that a lot, they don't smuggle guns or drugs. They smuggle things related to the coronavirus, like, like uh, contraband temperature checkers or uh, hand sanitizers. Or masks. Yeah, or masks. Yeah, so it's, it's ridiculous. Or like the, <laughs> the, there's a, it starts with like a huge chase scene with an airport and a guy escaping and there's a bunch of guys in suits that look like secret agents and it turns out all they want to do is just ask him questions because they suspect he was close to someone who might have uh who might have had corona. So it is it is sort of that kind of comedy. So like I said, it has a lot of elements of, you know, the nineties Stephen Chow's uh uh stuff and it's not no 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 surprise that he was directed by one of his most frequent collaborators. Sounds like I when I need to catch up on the I would I would recommend watching. Like I said, I don't think it's it's particularly a, a a great film or it's gonna blow your mind or anything like that. But it's it's a pretty nice little comedy. Hmm. It's uh, a document of our time. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. It is. It is a. Then that's what I think it, its greatest value is. It's not the greatest film. It, it's a funny comedy, but not the greatest comedy. But it is, I think, a an interesting take on the on the pandemic that I have not seen from other films. Hmm. And that's really all I had to say about it. Uh what's your number four, J- Jason? Uh my number four, I struggled with this
0: one. Um it's going to be in a it's going to be a Japanese title. And um, it was either The
2: Fable, The Killer Who Doesn't Kill, or Ninja Girl. Oh no, you got you got a big one. There's no no either's here, man. They're both uh well,
0: one's an action well, they're both action comedies, but one does it very differently. So I went with Ninja Girl. And it's the latest film by you. Irie. It's not yet released uh, in Japan, so um, if you watch it at a festival, you're way ahead of uh, Japanese audiences. So I believe it's going to get a release in September. It's September, oh, August 21st. Okay, it's going to get released on August 21st, but uh, Ninja Girl uh, takes place in Fukuya City in Saitama. So that's kind of a countryside. And um, it follows... Which m- you can easily tell by just
2: watching the film.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, uh, country roads and um, low-level buildings, low-rise buildings, and uh, real quiet streets. <laughs> Very quaint. <laughs> uh, not many people around. Um, and one of the people we follow is Miu Komaru, who works for the city hall. And um, a family friend of hers uh, commits suicide by throwing himself off the roof of the building because he was ordered to falsify documents relating to a campaign uh, dedicated to kicking foreigners out of the town. And um, this family friend, uh, he was uh, in close contact with Mew's grandfather. Um, she's looking after the the old man because he's bedridden, and um, Mew's devastated. Uh, The old man says, we've got to get revenge, and the best way to do that is for you to use your ninja skills. Surprise, you come from a family of ninjas. So, you've got this uh, really quiet, uh, socially awkward girl transforming herself into a ninja and trying to get evidence um, that the documents were falsified and that family friends uh sort i i guess uh driven to commit suicide by others and um it's
2: a funny political satire low-key funny yeah i i loved this film uh i like i said i watched it last night it was the last thing i watched uh the last film i watched at the festival and it was it was today i i struggled i did not include it in my top five because and know, I was trying to reconcile with everything that I wanted to include, and it just—I just, just couldn't—didn't know which one to take out. The most likely candidate was the my fifth choice, the "All You Need Is Love." But like I said, I had—I had some reasons that I really wanted to include that in one as well. So I—I I opted into not including Ninja Girl, but I love this film. It was such a such a great film. Such a, it was not not—I wouldn't call it a a pure comedy per se, but it is very funny at moments, and it's very charming. Uh, all the acting in it is top notch. Uh like you said, it is a political satire, but it is a um a almost it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make uh try to make the political case. It takes that as a given and it just explores, okay, so how do we deal with something that is uh clearly a racist law? It does not debate the law itself. It just says, okay, we take this as a given. What how do we deal with people who seem to completely be so removed from our from sort of the sort of the moral, uh, our our moral point of view, that it's just it's impossible to reason with them because they it, it, there were the, the, the world of this film was so frustrating. Like you you have people breaking into an old man's house and beating the shit out of him. And the police says we can't deal in civil disputes. Uh, and it just puts you into sort of the mindset of this character so well that it it, it really I, it was just it was just a great i'm i'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss of for words on how to describe it, but it was pretty great
0: well, it's based it seems
2: to be based on a
0: real life um scandal that engulfed um Shinzo Abe and his wife because uh back in 2018 they were uh uh involved in trying to uh get uh cheaper uh, a land made cheaper for a, a nationalistic school operator and a civil servant involved in that transaction committed suicide and left a note saying that he was worried that he might be forced to take all of the blame um i'm not sure what happened to that legal case uh but it's, it seems to be based on that and um it's like samjin english uh samjin company english class it's got this very serious subject but it approaches it in a sort of light-hearted manner the comedy is one of disappointment <laughs> i found that mu is it's told that she comes from a family of ninjas, um, but she's not very good as a ninja herself. All the and all the manuals have been burned. Yeah, like we we've got these manuals that have been passed down generation to generation, but American B fifty two bombers burnt them, so it only goes up to uh, explaining how to create your costume. Yeah,
2: and I like I like how the grandfather says I vowed not to use any English words, but then immediately after says, "Oh, I bought those books on Amazon." and I I learned I was a big fan of MS DOS or something like that yeah Uh, so it's uh, it's yeah I I think I think the comedy is low-key but I don't know I I enjoyed the comedy of the film yeah and like you
0: suggested it's like um, the frustration of living in that society um, that really comes out in the aspect
2: ratio because it's like a boxy is it is it for Four by three, I noted that too, and I, I in my notes I said, "Oh, four by three, I love it. I, 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 I am a big fan of the four by three aspect ratio. I, I don't know why so many films don't use it anymore, but well, I, I know why. But I wish a few more films used it as the occasion demands. I think it's used
0: really well here because you get the sense that she's like this family who are like the few left fighting um, against uh, wider society. Um, you know, if, if you get the sense that they're trapped by social mores." They're trapped in this um sort of town, uh this small town with like nowhere to go, no future. And um it's all about Mew having to overcome her disappointments, uh o- overcome being a disappointment as well, and learning to be a better ninja. And so you get training montages done to eighties music, which was which was very delightful.
2: Yeah, most of, most of which is consists of her dancing to the music, but I That's... suppose there's a little bit of training going on between that's when you see her
0: come most alive. So it's like she's alive inside yeah. her herself in her imagination. But when she comes into contact with others, she retreats into herself, and then you get like the final confrontation at the end where she basically beats everybody. It's very satisfying.
2: Well, I I was a little bit confused about that. Does he are those poisonous? Uh, are those fatal? Those darts or those? Uh uh things that she throws at them or are they just tranquilizers like i didn't get that is she killing them or is she just like putting them to sleep i just assumed uh she was putting them to sleep because it seemed i don't know because they know who she is and she would go to jail for a long time after that although i the film is not exactly uh, in terms certain parts of it are very realistic and other parts are a little bit sort of have you know you kind of have to to Suspend your disbelief a little bit, but if she is not killing them, they all know who she is. Like the people that she put to sleep, so they can—I mean, she'll get arrested for assault and go to jail after that. But those guys deserved it. You can—oh, <laughs> that's true. You but... can assume that they're going to be put in jail first. Yeah, oh, that's, uh, that's true after the video that was leaked, but yeah, so it seemed like at first I wasn't sure. I th- is she killing him? Because that would have been, I, I think, a bit overkill for the movie, but of course the movie never quite clarifies. And shoots, I mean in the last guy, he shoots him in the eyes, which is <laughs> a lo- It's both funny, but also a little bit horrifying. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. I, I'm laughing. It's funny that it actually sounds... The scene it is, is oh, yeah, very it, like, funny. Especially when he's kind of, he's He's kind of so, like he didn't expect her to be so good at with her aim. And he's just kind of complimenting it. And then he just, she just shoots him in the other eye. <laughs> yeah. And he shouts out, I love the sensation. Yeah, exactly. No, it it is a pretty funny scene. Yeah. So
0: yeah, it's uh, it's only 93 minutes, I believe. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no,
2: not even, not even. I thought it was like, like 88 minutes or so. Uh, let me double check. Yeah, but it's it's a fairly sh- short and concise film. It's you know very to the point, very funny, at least in my opinion, and uh, a really well done uh, story. Yep, and uh, a openly
0: political film as well, which yep. is refreshing to see.
2: Is uh has has the director done any other noteworthy films that are worth checking out? I am not familiar with his director.
0: So he came to prominence with like um, 8,000 Miles or Saitama Rapper. And um, he's done a few big budget films like um, uh, Memoirs of a Murderer, um, which has Tatsuya Fujiwara, um, and Vigilante. So he goes between mainstream and indie films and this 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 definitely feels like it's on the indie end of the spectrum
2: okay all right so my number four is escape from mogadishu which like you mentioned is the opening of the festival and i believe this is one of those in-person only ones yes i think so uh but it's probably going to be a film that you're going to be able to if you're not in the New York area, you can't see this in person in uh, during the festival. This is probably going to be available in some form later on because it looks like it's a fairly popular film that is going to make its way outside of South Korea.
0: It sounds like um, Welco
2: USA have distribution rights. Okay, so and they usually do a pretty good job at kind of bringing it to cinemas and home media in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, OK, so just to give a brief summary, this is a based on real life events, although I believe the names of the people have been changed. I think so. Uh, but it is about uh, the South Korean and North Korean embassies in Somalia trying to sort of curry favor with the governments there. South Korea is trying to. Uh, incentivize the, the African governments to vote for their membership in the UN and North Korea is trying to lobby for the opposite. So there's just, you know, usual ri- ri- rivalry between them. However, civil war, the rebellions in Somalia or the, or the civil war sort of erupts and uh, the two embassies are sort of forced to collaborate uh, and put aside their animosity and um, uh, in order to escape and um this is i mean this was a very well done movie it's not the concept is not particularly original we've sort of seen stories like this uh but we've never seen them in korea so i thought that was and that was sort of enough to make this a really really nice movie it's it sort of got the korean uh the uh, it's a, it's a very korean movie in the sense that there is it's a serious topic there is a lot of drama and uh and uh horror not horror but Horrific things that happen to it, but there's also a lot of humor, especially, you know, with some of the interactions between the uh, South uh, and North Koreans once they get together, or, you know, like the South Koreans um, among each other when they sort of, um, you know, your typical South Korean humor. Uh, so it was, it was, it was sort of an interesting view because we usually used to these American films where, you know, like there's an American film that happened in some place where a nasty revolution or civil war is going on. And we see it from the American perspective. So it's interesting to see the same sort of thing, but from a a different country's perspective. And of course, this is a Korean movie, so it does focus on Korea, but I thought he did a very good job as to highlight sort of the horrors of what went on in the Somali Civil War. And it's actually technically, it's a civil war that still has not technically ended, although there has been a sort of a prolonged ceasefire as of of the time that we're now recording. Yeah,
0: it's... uh country driven with
2: uh by instability you got african union troops
0: acting as peacekeepers there they've been there for decades now
2: it starts before the civil war actually erupts but you sort of see the instability of the country they even talk about it you know it, war can break out here at any moment and then once actually things go south they go south pretty pretty quickly i yeah this was shot in morocco i believe I I yeah that that sounds right. I don't, I don't I don't I didn't check the details before. Well, it's like a really impressive visual achievement
0: because it feels like you're dragged into this war zone. Uh, like streets littered with cars set ablaze, bodies everywhere. Like even stray dogs.
2: Uh, that this was the weakest part. The CGI dogs. Oh yeah, I noticed that too. CGI dogs. I mean, I get I guess it's it's like it's a second of screen time so it didn't bother me that much.
0: Yeah. But you also had like massive crowds of protesters and um, like rebels and military battling each other and like you said earlier to see a film of this scale, of this subject matter coming from uh non-American con- a country is really interesting and um, it's got a brilliant setup where you see the rivalry between the North and South Korean embassies and then the breakdown of law and order and um, it's actually harrowing um uh, having to watch what's going on with the North Koreans as they have to make their way with their families to the South Korean embassy and then there's the constant tension of will they be able to work together to escape as one and um again, it's like a, a message like um we may be from north uh, we may be from north and or South Korea, but we're all one family here and um the only option is to survive
2: ah uh, one thing that confused the hell out of me, I don't know if you noticed this, but why did the dialogue from the North Koreans have subtitles in it i I don't know. I would be... Did you notice that? I didn't notice that. Could could this, I suppose, maybe, is it a dialect thing? Yeah, just to clarify. So the the film is in Korean. So, and we get English translation for everything, of course. But whenever there was something like there was, because it takes place outside of Korea, there's, you know, other, there's Italian, I think there's English spoken a lot. And all of those are translate, have Korean subtitles. And the only thing that doesn't have Korean subtitles is the South Koreans. But for some reason, the the North Koreans also have Korean subtitles underneath. And they're Korean, for sure, I checked. But I don't know if like there's that much of a difference in the dialects that perhaps a Korean audience would need subtitles. I can't say that I noticed it as a non-Korean speaker. But is there all the characters could understand each other very well. Like they didn't need interpreters or anything like that. Yeah. It's uh, one of the many intricacies
0: of the films, and um, like Sam Jin Company English class, I really enjoyed the sort of like um, the the props and the costumes of the time period. So they're using cassette players, um, and there's a reference to the 1988 Seoul Games, and which they, the
2: Olympics, yeah,
0: yeah, they uh, use for soft power purposes. Um, so you've got this uh, rich uh, well of details to draw from the background of this film
2: although another thing that i would sort of be interested is how much of it is a dramatization yeah i did wonder like when they get to the checkpoint and
0: the white flag incident happens that seemed like a movie contrivance
2: yeah and the the whole you know obviously the action had to be exaggerated a little bit i i i I mad i i find it hard to believe that sort of a bunch of diplomats would be able to strap books uh on their cars and then I mean, I'm, I can't believe that something of that nature happened, but I find to believe that there would be machine gunned with hundreds and hundreds of bullets across half the city, and only, spoiler alert, only one of them die. Uh It seemed incredibly fortuitous, even in the movie. It was one of those movie contrivances that, okay, you kind of have to, kind of like Rambo going with one machine gun and, and kind of taking out hundreds of other enemies. You, you kind of have to kind of view it from that perspective. I just went with it. I like all the oh no it was it was very enjoyable yeah yeah they like
0: all the men certainly all the men would have had military training so it's possible that
2: they would have had like learned
0: something like that
2: and it was you know it was uh there's some parts of it that kind of like when um i mean they're they're really heartbreaking like when you when the korean ambassador says you know they're all prideful and you know uh keep decorum at the door but when they just kind of the the south korean ambassador looks at him through that hole and he says why do you come here and he just says we have nowhere else to go uh and that was like sort of the first moment where he breaks down his formal the formalities and just kind of like tries to tries to you know essentially appeal to his humanity to save his life even though that might be a sort of a a, a, a Uh, an act of treason viewed from his government Uh, that forms one of the tensions that runs all the way through to the end as to how are they
0: going to square getting the north koreans out and um i liked how the south korean intelligence officer was just refusing to shake hands and working with the north koreans Yeah, like
2: i said there was quite a bit of humor in those interactions as well yeah another another sort of uh hard moment was when the that their chauffeur dies Swama. i think his name is
0: oh yeah it's like a sudden death this like the violence is just
2: astonishing exactly and it's it's um it's you know he they find a scarf of the before this is before the actual revolution rebellion has kind of gone full full into a full-blown civil war but you know they just find a scarf on him and they don't really know whether you know maybe he just found that uh, you know, there's an implication there that he's might be part of the rebellion, uh, of the rebels, uh, or maybe he just kind of like found fa- happened on that scarf that has their insignia. And then he just kind of escapes because he doesn't know what's going to happen. And then they just, he's hit into the head by a police officer who also doesn't know who he is. It's just, he just saw someone running and just decided to hit him on the head. And then he just kind of ran back, terrified, not, not sure about who they killed and whatnot. Uh, so it is a pretty sort of I think an honest look at what goes on in situation like situations like this yeah I agree like
0: and it ends with a car chase that is this is going to be screened in the cinema I suggest you watch it in the cinema it like yeah.
2: edgy seat stuff Oh, exactly that that the final scene is pretty 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 and even when they make it to the embassy you're still you know there's people there's the rebels behind them and there is the army behind them and they're just pretty much shot by everyone
0: yeah, it's a and Mexican i believe standoff.
2: yeah and believe the the north korean who is killed the one person who is killed in the end is actually shot down by the actually the government soldiers not by the rebels which is ironic in itself and in, in its own right he lasted long enough to get the car to the embassy yeah okay all right, so it's a great film I recommend you watch it I, again if you're not in New York you're probably not gonna be able to catch it in the festival but I strongly recommend seeking it out because it is a fantastic film it is a familiar you know template a story with a familiar template but done in a way that you've probably never seen before so I highly recommend it all right Jason what's uh what's your number three I'm going to cheat and I'm going to select two films Ah, come on man <laughs> it was very hard
0: um, it's hard
2: for everyone. It was,
0: <laughs> it's probably hard for the people listening to me blabber on. <laughs> um, all right. Go, go ahead. Um, I've seen these before at the Osaka Asian Film Festival. Um, but, uh, I think they're such high quality titles that I suggest people watch them. Um, the first is Three Sisters and the second is Joint. And Three Sisters is a Korean film. It's a family drama. Joint is a, a crime film. So they couldn't be more different from each other, especially in approach. Uh, let's see. So Free Sisters is kind of like a black comedy, which has this heartbreaking drama of um, people dealing with the trauma of abuse. And the way the abuse has shaped them, it uh, comes out in like the first three quarters of the film. Uh, the titular Free Sisters uh, completely different in character you've got the older sister who's a florist um and she's uh sort of a, a doormat for everybody in her life and um you find out that she's suffering from cancer but she's too timid to talk to anybody that she hides it she doesn't want to disturb anybody she's got a horrible ex-husband and um uh demanding daughter to say the least you've got the youngest sister who's i've described her as like a female charles Bukowski because she, she loves to get drunk uh she eats junk food um she's married to a kind-hearted greengrocer, and um he has a teenage son and she's struggling to sort of uh sort of find herself but also be a mother to uh and a wife to these two people who've entered her life and then you've got the middle daughter who's ostensibly like the most successful of the three she's a devout christian but Beneath her exterior is like a lot of anger and fury. And as you go through the narrative, you get flashbacks, you get um, sort of bits of dialogue which tell you that these Mm -hmm. personalities that they have have been informed by uh, abuse that they suffered. And um,
1: it uh, culminates in this family reunion, which is absolutely brutal to watch.
0: and. Initially, you start laughing at these characters because the way they react to situations is so out there, but your heart goes out to them over the course of the film as you see them struggle.
2: Yeah. And th- there's only, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I love this film as well. And, you know, didn't, I didn't, it's not in my top five, it's in my honorable mentions because, again, it was just, uh, I, I, I follow the rules, Jason. I don't know, I don't know about that. I'm a rule breaker.
0: Uh, you just have to deal exactly.
2: With it. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to allow it, but I am going to occasionally uh, blurt it out as as a as a way to to fund my moral superiority. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I I enjoyed this. The only difference is I did not necessarily see the comedy aspect of it. I mean, there were light maybe comedic moments, but I I don't know. I didn't I didn't necessarily see it as a as a comedy per se. Uh, it's mo- mostly as a sort of a, a not a thriller but a dark drama um that kind of how do I put this like a build-up of resentment that just is is represented in two stages first the build-up of resentment that has happened you know in exposition before we actually get introduced to this character to these characters and then the build-up that happens during this movie with the middle sister was it the older sister the one that has cancer
0: the older sister
2: the older which was also my favorite character she was such a such a not in, in in a way a bit pathetic but also also very like you said very defined by her past trauma and there's just she eventually just kind of is the one that by her revelation in the end brings everything together and then the middle sister who is you know putting up this front of uh of control and and poise but is just almost as chaotic on the inside as everyone else and then the youngest sister who's i think her troubles are a bit more superficial she just doesn't know how to control her emotions and her uh, uh bukowski-like character like you mentioned but i feel like she eventually gets her things together uh gets uh, gets her life together probably the first of the two even even though i take issue with a little with the idea that getting her life together together is learning how to cook and care for her husband but i guess that's just perhaps a little bit of structure in her otherwise chaotic life
1: mm,
0: yeah this fantastic performances from the three lead actresses um and uh, yeah. moon su ri who plays the middle sisters actually um the producer on this as well
2: okay and um i believe she's uh acted for lee chang dong uh she her face did i didn't i didn't have time to look up uh, any of the actors but she did look familiar yeah. She might have been in uh, oh, she might have been in a secret sunshine, sunshine. Oh, no, she was in Oasis. Yep, she was. So you're right. She was she did act in Oasis with uh and Peppermint Candy for Lee Chang-dong, but uh nothing. She was also in The Handmaiden from Park Chan-wook. So she's definitely done some great work. And she's fantastic here, yeah, like the
0: fury that she hides behind her facade is absolutely scary especially yeah she the, is terrifying the moments where she's conducting a choir and um you see that she's staring uh with intensity at uh the woman who's having an affair with her husband and the camera just slowly pushes in on her face or zooms in on her face as just such a great moment um uh, but yeah like uh like goodwill hunting this felt like a really honest and um, take on how people are shaped by abuse um and i like the fact that it tried to draw the characters out uh without any contrivances it was just getting them to talk about the abuse and like the effects it's had on them i i agree like it was just so well written and my initial like feeling that this might be a comic just dropped the film is i watched the struggle so i just i i love this film a lot
2: yeah i think another reason why i also didn't include it is because there was another film that i watched recently maybe a year ago and it was um move the grave uh and it it was it was also a south korean film i think it was released either 2019 or 2020 Uh, and i've reviewed it for v cinema so you can look it up there but it was it's not as serious as this but it deals with a lot of the same subject it, it it deals with trauma and uh and family there's not there's nowhere that is you know i don't think any of the characters have been abused to the extent that the characters in this film have but otherwise it's a very very similar film and it also deals with a lot of uh feminist issues were sort of the that i think this film touches on of how the the women in a family are not necessarily treated the same as the the men in the family and i think i think i enjoyed that film a little bit more so if anybody is interested to check it out it's called move the grave mm. uh, yeah
0: there's a lot of commentary on how uh abuse can be accepted in society like the when of flashback scenes shows um the middle sister and the younger sister are going to a bar for help and the guys in the bar like you, you can't rat your, your father out right to the police yeah exactly yeah and yeah it's just horrifying to watch but you see how society reinforces like uh, a culture of silence and just accepting abuse and um at the end of the film there's hope for change
2: Exactly. That's right. But also, the you know the the feminist angle. And this this was a th- almost like a throwaway line. So I, I want to make sure that I didn't misinterpret it. But I'm pretty sure I, th- at some point they mention how his wife, so in the flashback, so their father, his their mother was um, unfaithful to her husband and had a child with someone else. And I think it was the boy. That boy was is not actually that father's their fathers so it's only their half brother or something like that so in that bar scene they almost make it sound like he's justified in sort of treating her mother and uh their children in the same way that he does simply because you know her mother was unfaithful to him so she uh she deserves whatever she's getting
0: yeah i think the is described as a love
2: child something like that yeah
0: yeah i found this um story um really moving very satisfying um and uh like the it's the performances of the three lead actresses the performances of everybody just fantastic so if you have a chance to see this film i recommend you, you take it um the other film uh in third place is joint um and it's a yakuza film and it follows Takeshi ishigami who's just Uh, who's been released from prison, um, and he's returning to a life of crime in Tokyo in order to build up enough money to finally escape. And uh, his method of uh, making money is to get these things called lists or Mable. And these are like uh, collections of information uh, on people which uh, can be stolen uh, from mobile phones, or it can be bought from advertising companies, which have collected all that data. And um, then he uses it for scams, Um, but he decides that in order to get free of a life of crime, uh, he should uh, create a company which uses uh, this information uh, to sell to uh, bigger companies. And, that's like a really fascinating look at how yakuza actually conduct um criminal activities in japan but uh running beneath this you've also got uh sort of more stereotypical
2: gang war aspect to it as well which just kind of brings everything down to to a whole, to essentially destroys this guy's plans once and for all
0: yeah like he gets out in the end but not in the way uh he expects because he's constantly talking about rich constantly talking about going to a foreign country and um it's like at the end it's more of an exile
2: rather than uh like something of his own volition yeah he was hoping he was hoping to go to korea as a rich man uh and instead he's going there because he needs to hide from the gang members that he gave info to the police Mm. and
0: that like within this film there are themes of like globalization uh, as you see foreign criminals enter Japan and make use of all this information and also the ties like the parallels between big business and the way criminals operate Um It's shot in a documentary style Uh like Steven Soderbergh's Traffic and so it the film looks and feels very different from many Yakuza films that are released in japan and i found the details of the story and the look of the film really gripping and it's a fantastic lead performance by iken yamamoto as Takeshi. he's just he's got this look that
2: is so cool and he's i think he's got the Takeshi kitano sunglasses as well exactly the main character was certainly interesting so i i suspected i've read your i've skimmed to be honest your review on this so i kind of i i had an i had an uh a sort of a hunch that you would pick it. I don't feel as strongly about this film uh, for a few reasons. I It did make my honorable mention. So it, it's definitely, I agree with you that the lead character is absolutely charismatic and it's probably the best thing about the film. And I was fascinated by the premise of the film. It's, it's a Yakuza film unlike any other Yakuza film that I've seen. And it's, again, I don't know enough about the Yakuza and real we'll life have to know with, whether or not that's what really Yakuza do nowadays. They just do phone scams as opposed to your traditional picture of the yakuza, yeah, I think it's like ore
0: ore scams where they pretend to be someone's relative and they ask for money. Hey, um, grandma, I'm in trouble. Can you uh, wire me x amount of uh, money? Or they pretend to be from a bank and uh, you must pay uh, outstanding dues, something like that.
2: Your typical, your typical scams, yeah. Your typical, you know, Nigerian prince scam, uh, prince scams, but done, you know, in the context of a more Japanese called more japanese context so i thought that was fascinating and and i'm not going to claim that no other film has done that but i i certainly haven't seen one and certainly seen one done you know from the yakuza perspective even though at at several points of the film the main character makes the point to say that he's he's not with any family Uh, however there were just many so many little things that kind of like, like not, nothing big. I thought the film was very good. And I thought the film was very good for, you know, the budget that he was made. He was made for very cheaply, apparently. Uh, so $50,000. Yeah, which is, a, you know, it's it's a relatively small amount. Although, again, it's, it's not the smallest that you can make a film. I mean, there are a, a lot more lower budget indie films that sort of that can emerge. But it is a fairly small professional film. And it, you know, it, it looks also pretty good. Compare, you know, mostly because of the stylistic choices that the director made, uh, and I believe you also have an interview with the, from the director of this. Yes, on your website. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I, I remember reading it. Uh, I, I I didn't read it recently, but I remember reading it. I that's why I thought you had it. But a couple of small things that bothered me. You mentioned about the shooting style that is inspired by traffic, but I. I At points, I felt the director went a little bit too far with the close ups, like almost 90% of the film is shot with a camera just attached to the faces of the characters. And several points I was just saying, for God's sakes, can you back up a little bit? I'm getting dizzy just staring at the faces of the characters from beginning to end. That just kind of I don't know. And that's probably a choice that was Partly stylistic and partly, you know, uh, coerced by the small budget. Because that's what you do when you have a lot of budget. You keep a shallow focus and close up, so you don't have to invest too much on sets. uh But I don't know. I, I I didn't. If it was, you know, most of the movie, but there was still occasionally, you know, a little bit of more medium and long shots. I I just thought that would have worked better. It was, you know, I felt like if I had seen this on the cinema, I had uh, I would have gotten almost certainly gotten dizzy. Uh, and it's like, I, I just want to emphasize, it's a, it's a small thing and it's a nitpick, but it just was so, it happened so much that it kind of bothered me. Uh, and similar along the lines, I was just, I had a hard time keeping trap of the main character because he's just, he has a beard in one scene and then he just cleanly shaven in the next scene. And then he has a beard again, right in the next scene and then cleanly shaven again. And I'm like, I, I have no idea how much time has passed. Is that a continuity error? That we're just supposed to ignore or it has like months or weeks passed since our last scene, even though it looks like it it was just he just walked from like what it's it happening in the same day i don't know if you if that's just me or if you notice that as well uh no, the nature of the story is it takes place over an extended period of time because he's slowly
0: building up his uh uh wealth his uh business portfolio he has time to get um uh, uh a dame and uh, uh, uh a fancy apartment so i just took that in my stride i didn't notice it
2: yeah I, and i like you that makes sense from story but it felt the director could have made that a more a little bit more clear it was it, i don't think there is anything in the film that calls for that kind of confusion that at least and again, maybe if i watch the second time i won't have that but there was i don't know the it, you know being always sort of close up to the characters faces you kind of you know you don't have establishing shots you don't have things that will help you sort of navigate the the temporal and geometrical aspects of the film like even in the end i I wasn't exactly even sure what happens like uh you know that there was one guy with a gun and you know they see the gun and he's in the van with them i think with the same people and then all of a sudden we have a close-up on the gun and there's a bunch of shots fired like i was like that's what i mean i was just Things happen in the movie that I wasn't just—I had a hard time following sometimes, and I can sort of—if I watched again, I'm sure I can sort of piece together what happens. But there, there was no reason for why the the director couldn't have just maybe m- made this in a way that it was like a little bit easier to, a little bit more. use use his experimental style that you like you said mimics traffic, but also traffic is not that. Uh, that uh out there with the close-ups it, it it does have conventional aspects about it so yeah i don't i don't know if you kind of if you had the same reaction to that to those scenes or if it's just me that uh, was bothered by them but like i said they're small things but they add up one after another that just kind of knocked this movie out of the top five for me
0: yeah i d- i didn't have those problems like i was um, really impressed by the cast who just had this air of authenticity about them and uh many of the cast um this is like their first time acting in a feature film uh they're drawn from like um different worlds maybe basketball or modeling and um it was just really interesting looking at them Especially-
2: Yeah, one uh- I I agree. Yeah, like I said, I think I strongly recommend watching this movie. I think it's it's an it's a great achievement for the budget that it was does, and it's 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 even the acting is even more impressive, knowing that these are amateur actors that were sort of employed for this movie. Uh, and just to to add a little bit more of a to to mention, uh, I mentioned a bunch of negatives about the movie. To mention a positive thing is I, it reminded me a lot of Number Three in the sense of. Okay, we you have this clash in the crime world between the new way of doing things and the old way of doing things. And the the new way is more focused on making money and sort of being as legitimate as possible while cutting corners, whereas the old way is just muscle in war and the old way screws up the things for the new way. So that's that's in that's how this reminded me a lot of number three. Mm. But yeah, like I said, an interesting movie. I enjoyed it a lot, but there was these tiny little things that kind of bothered me. Like in the end, I'm still not 100% clear how he was able to shoot everybody in the van. I don't know if you could explain it to me. I took it that he just shot Iraqi. And that, like,
0: the act of killing was just like so much, so overwhelming for him that he had to flee from the van. And um,
2: yeah, but but they no. they saw him with a gun. Like he he was in that building where they go to uh, grab him or arrest him. It's like and a safe face. Say yeah, and they clearly had a gun with him. And then he's have he has the gun in the van where they're sitting. Like, why? Uh, I don't know. Why did why did they let him keep the gun the whole time? i There might
0: be the expectation that he would eventually pull the trigger. But like at that point when they're in the van,
2: he sort of jumps the gun, so to speak. But, but why did they let him keep the van, the gun, the whole time? But like if they're if they're not, I mean, they're not his friends. They're they're trying to kidnap him. He's asked them for help in kidnapping and
0: killing Iraqi, and like they are just everybody's keeping their guns.
2: Okay, but no, w- wait. Okay um never mind never mind it's i i am i am i i was a bit lost so i don't i'm not gonna tire the the listeners who are trying to explain every little detail i think i think i should probably watch this one more time just to get the details yeah i
0: do you know what? i when i first watched it i did have a problem with that scene because it's uh it is confusing but again i'm a bit more forgiving so i just went with it and each subsequent watch i i was uh, i just kept enjoying the atmosphere
2: Okay, and that's the atmosphere is uh, it sort of has a it's not I wouldn't call it a noir but it definitely kind of has that vibe about it. Mm. And the soundtrack as well. The final the final piece is brilliant. And I I did I did also enjoy the sort of the immigrant aspect to it. Even though it's kind of it's kind of treated a little bit uh, as a means to an end. There's still something about it. But it's uh, like this uh, a lot of
0: emblemism in the costumes that he wears when he's with his korean friends um they're dressed in like uh, coveralls or bomber jackets and um, he's wearing fancy suits and then at the end it's a complete reversal he's in this oversized suit and they're in these tight fitting suits you know perfectly fitted and driving fancy cars and um it's like just as with the uh, old ways of the yakuza and maybe um the the, the current uh plans of the yakuza they're going to get swept aside by um global forces
2: do you think that uh the his korean friend uh how do you think they because the film never i don't think that it quite addresses this point how do you think they reconcile do you think the korean friend just does it because his boss like he eventually uh, teams up with his other gang this other foreign gang uh and eventually i think um um the main character uh, give something to them or something and uh somehow that leads to reconciliation with his korean friend
0: well in a sense he's handing over his business and his territory exactly the korean friends to the foreign gang the korean friends in order just to keep living he's gonna have to acquiesce to the foreign gang and uh he finds it's quite lucrative okay
2: yeah that's true okay uh but do you do you think they've truly reconciled uh, I yeah, his Korean
0: friend Yeah, it's kind of like a water under the bridge moment. it's kind of like his uh, Takeshi's being brought down low and um, he needs a helping hand and um, they go back a ways so he's willing to do it the Korean friends willing to
1: do it
2: well that, that's what I wasn't sure well like is the Korean friend and this is I think this is a legitimate uh, you know thing that the film that the I think the audience might wonder about because their handshake at the end has a certain I mean they 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 shake hands and they hug and whatnot. But it, 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 I felt like a little bit of ambiguity there. Like, is his Korean friend truly forgiven him, or is it just you know his boss ordered him? Okay, you need. I made an agreement with this guy. You need to hide him. So if he asks you to hide him to Korea, do it. And is he doing it because of that? Like, I wasn't. I, I, I am more inclined to say that they have. It is a water under the bridge moment. But I, I, I think maybe could also be interpreted as a, as a just business now. Hm. Mm. I at this point none of it really matters (laughs) yeah because his his ambitions are over pretty much yeah okay so that was that was your uh joint number threes my number three is a a taiwanese movie called the Silent forest okay so i haven't watched this one either okay so this is based on a true story that happened in uh on true scandal that happened in taiwan either in the sometimes in the 2000s, I don't remember exactly, but it had to do with sexual assault in a school for the deaf. Oh. And it involves essentially um, this new guy, let me see if I can actually look up the name, uh, Chang. I think Cheng Chang is his name. And he transfers his sort of, he doesn't like his current school, which is a regular school, and he transfers this into a, a new school for the deaf. And he finds immediately sort of, finds that he belongs there much better than any other place that he's been before any other school that he's been for, but also discovers that the male students are sexually assaulting, actually outright raping the female, some of the female students. And because everybody's deaf, it's actually a lot harder for them to, uh, to go to figures of authority. And then when they do, uh, they are often ignored and, um, and uh this sort of this sort of propagates into more cycles of violence and this this is continuing by the time that the chang arrives at the school there's this almost year long continuing cycle of violence where the, some of the male students assault not only female students but even other male students and then as as he actually reports this a student a, a teacher takes interest and uh something even deep deeper and more sinister is uncovered and uh we reveal that some of these Students who are doing the assaulting have been victims of assault before, and it is literally quite this cycle where uh, kids are being assaulted and they are then become perpetrators of assault and so on. So it is a really brutal and dark film. Uh, It was kind of, you know, I was constantly uh, in shock while watching it. Uh, And um, it was it was a bit hard to get through, which I don't say for many films, but it was also really well done. Most of the film is taking place in sign language, which kind of prompted me to ask a question whether or not when you when you look up the details like on IMDb or Wikipedia of a, of a movie, should sign language be its own language or is it just part of the language that the movie belongs to? Like if the movie is in English and a lot of it takes place with American sign language, should the should we report that it is a, a movie that where it's the language is English and American sign language? Or in case of this film, Taiwanese or Chinese Sign Language, I suppose. But otherwise, this is a this is a brutal film. And it just you find out sort of, you know, how easy it is for, you know, the figures of authority to ignore the complaints of these children uh because, you know, the reputation of the school, especially that's what that's what eventually it boils down to for most of the film. The supervisor of the you can believe that the principal of this school has the really cares for the student but she definitely has the the school's interest uh prioritizes the school's interest above all and doesn't want this uh school to sort of the reputation of the school to fall by making these scandals public or making them sort of get out of control and you know and of course they justified it as if the school closes the children will have nowhere to go to but obviously the there are problems with that and that's that's what the film is really about it so I really recommend watching it it's a really well done film but it's also this it's based on a true story and the subject matter is just so harrowing that it kind of sticks with you for for a while after you watch it I and uh, it sounds like a really tough watch um,
0: uh would you uh, issue any uh, cautions to viewers about um scenes depicted
2: there's actual there's actually scenes of rape of minors uh, in the films they're they're not very graphic and they're uh and they're conducted by other minors and then i'm actually not the the actors look pretty young i'm not sure if they're minors or not so there's that so it is sensitive topics and there's you know eventually spoiler alert um i don't know if i because this is sort of a twist so i'm not going to reveal it, but there's there's more than that going on i'm just gonna hmm. I'm 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 not going to say that but there's the, the it gets into actual abuse that is pretty serious. Okay. Um there's there's some things that again this is one of those things that I kind of want to know how the real case was uh because and this is happens fairly early in the film uh, so and it's not it's not a big deal for me to reveal it but there's I uh, soon after Chang joins the school he makes friends with a uh, with a female student and there's sort of, there's a romantic interest then but then when on the way back home he he's in the front of the bus and he walks in the back of the bus and fa- and like sees her being raped by some of the students and i found that a little bit hard to to believe how and of course everybody's deaf and that's how the film justifies it uh that no how nobody kind of sees the female student being abused at the back of the bus, even though the teachers are no deaf and the driver is certainly no deaf. So I don't know. I've, I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure if that is part of what really happened. Uh, you can kind of sort of buy it as put in the film, but it's also a little bit ridiculous. Uh, it, well, how does it affect the sound design then? Well, the sound design is really interesting because it kind of you get out because you. The deaf children are not the only characters of the film. There's, you know, the adult characters, the teachers who are not deaf. So it kind of, the sound design is is really interesting, it kind of goes in and out of this sort of state of, you know, when told from the perspective of the kids, and sometimes the kids, especially the main character, Cheng, sometimes he's wearing an earpiece, which helps him a little bit. So it helps him distinguish some sounds, but he still can't hear very well. Sometimes he takes the earpiece off, which makes the film go completely silent and then of course when there's characters who are not deaf in the 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 sound design is a lot more conventional but there's you know a lot of echoes a lot of you know like muffled sounds that we hear and whenever especially when from his perspective there's this almost this confusing soundscape around the film that is very very does a great job at being immersive in fact does such a great job that i forgot about it because it's so good at kind of pushing you putting you into the film and putting you from the perspective of the character okay yeah but the speaking of that particular scene the rape the 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 film then that's sort of how the film rationalizes it that this that's not the first time it's happened so the the female student doesn't uh, doesn't bother screaming or or making anything that would be heard and it's also shown it there's another he cuts to a teacher wearing headphones so he's definitely trying to sell it but i still find it you know especially since it's implied that this is not the first time that it happens that it's happened multiple times I find it a little hard to believe that when the teachers learn it's uh they, they they've never seen they've never seen it happen on the bus. Like if it was anywhere else, like I it would be believable, but the fact that it happens quite literally on the back of the bus is yeah. I don't know. I find it a little bit you need to suspend your disbelief a little bit more than usual there. But otherwise it's it's a fantastic film. It's very brutal and it's really, really well done.
0: Right. Oh, that it's so high on your list and um, it's got interesting sound design to it uh, makes me uh, interested in it even if it's going to be a harrowing
2: watch it is and it, it does I've seen films where they make either partial or a lot of use of sign language and there's sometimes it's awkward because the pace is thrown off Um, and you know sometimes the actors they're not real they're not really deaf so they, they, they struggle to express emotion through sign language but here you know you have whole scenes or sometimes many scenes in a row that take place where the dialogue is entirely in sound sound language and it's just the pacing is the director has figured out how to make that work and especially the climax of the film where there's like this very important conversation between two of the kids The, the emotion there is just i've i don't think i've ever seen i don't think you could they could have done any better if it was with dialogue in fact i think the fact that it's with sign language is just so so much better because the actors can emote with their bodies and their faces. And again, I don't know if the actors are really deaf or not, but they did a really good job with kind of sort of imitating that that those people. Uh, but the, just the emotion is doesn't feel exaggerated at all, even though they are emoting with their faces more than perhaps you would if you were speaking. It just works so so well, and the act the director has really figured out how to make it how to make it work. Yeah. It sounds like a drama to watch, then, and it's based on a
0: real life case.
2: Yeah, I strongly recommend. In fact, this, like I said, this is number three. It's not my number one, but I, if if you're if if you're going to watch, if if you're only going to watch one movie from the festival, I would actually make it this one because I think it's just it's so well done. But it's also such a such an a topic that has been treated in in film subject before, but it's not quite like this, not quite as, as realistically, except for the bus scene, uh, but not quite as realistically and not quite as, I think, quite as, you know, respectful and, and trying to treat the emotions of the actual victims and, and the nuance, because in this film, the victims are also perpetrators. Mm. So it's it really captures that cycle, that cycle of violence better than any film that I've seen on the subject. Hmm. All right, but that's I think that's all I had to say about uh the Silent Forest. That's was number number 3. Uh, what about your number 2, Jason?
0: Okay, so uh no cheating now Um my number 2 Good. <laughs> and it was very hard to choose between um what we're going to one and two. Um uh, very very hard. But uh my number 2 is uh under the open sky uh directed by miwa nishikawa so i'm a big fan of uh miwa nishikawa's works um i've seen like nearly all of her feature films um sway dear doctor wild berries um dreams for sale uh and um yeah i've got reviews on my blog as well um and uh Miwa Nishikawa usually um, works on uh, novels or scripts she's written uh, herself, but this time she's chosen uh, to adapt a novel by Ryuzo Saki. And um, she works for the first time with Koji Yakusho. And um, the stories about uh, an ex, well, Uh, an ex-yakuza named Masao Mikami, he's getting on in years, and he's just finished a 13-year stint in prison uh, for murder, and um, you watch him struggling to reintegrate into society. And um, one of the things that uh, he struggles with is his anger, um, and uh, another thing he struggles with is his background. He never knew his mother, so he's convinced that by finding her, um, he can uh, maybe bring some peace to his life. So he gets in contact with a TV production company and um, they want to make a show about his uh, search and about him trying to get back into uh, society. But dogging him at every turn is his criminal background and um, his anger management problems. And this film is founded upon a fantastic performance by Koji Yakusho, who is in turn's sympathetic and absolutely terrifying, um has uh, Masao Mikami. And towards the end it gets really harrowing as you see him overcome his issues and confront his past and try to make himself better. Uh yeah. Uh and I was in tears at the end.
2: Yeah. And this, and this is also very, uh, this reminded me a lot of another movie that we have covered. The eel. I don't know if you can guess. The Eel, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's also, I was at the end, you know, I didn't realize while watching the film, but then after watching, wait a minute, is it the same actor? And it turns out, yes, it is even, it stars even the same, uh, the same actor. Well, he's definitely got um, the marching. Uh, exactly. Even the marching scene, that had to be a direct reference yeah. because he, that's like almost the same joke is used. Uh, I mean, this is sufficiently different that I I, that I do think they sort of each of them kind of focus on different topics, but they also have a lot of overlap between them. Mm. But I agree this didn't make it in my top five again, obviously, but it did make it into my honorable mentions. And I didn't quite cry at the end, but I was very I was very moved. And it was um, it did the particularly sort of the the internal struggles of how of how uh, uh, of the. The characters trying to make it into the real into the world after prison it wasn't anything cliche of oh uh, the world doesn't like convicts and there was a lot of that obviously, but in general, a lot of people that he encounters end up being more or less nice to him, so the film kind of takes that out of the equation mostly and it kind of focuses on his internal anger 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 management issues, and especially when you see him uh, like fight with those two. Uh, people on the street who are lynching that one old guy, and you kind of see him enjoying himself. You immediately see, oh no, there's you know there 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 he's he's gone. He's he's something about the old life just appeals to him in an, in you know deep way in a psychological way that he just kind of he t- he turns r- himself into an animal in that scene. He's biting the
0: uh, uh, other yakuza guy, and he's yeah, and he has blood, blood on his teeth. Yeah, he's just grinning. It's like a tiger looking up from his kill.
2: And then he's sold, you know, he finds and you're going to get, you know, there's, there's this duality that, you know, is he of a violent nature, either because that's how he is, or because he grew up the way he did? Or is it just because the world is pushing him into that? And I think by the end, you know, the, I think the film lives it open as to which one it is. However, it is, you know, he did, did manage to sort of let reason prevail. And I think that's kind of the, the message that the film, uh, Sort of is trying to end with that you know whatever whatever you know whatever the world gives you and whatever kind of person you ha- you end you can let reason prevail. Even even though he kind of he kind of bites the dust in the end.
0: Well, yeah, it doesn't sugarcoat anything, and the characters aren't cliches, like you said. That everybody initially seems hostile to him, um, but it turns out that once he actually starts speaking to them, he finds allies in them who are interested in his struggle and uh, Well,
2: I, I I'd say most of the people that he meets, there's there's some sort of altercation, you know, for good reason. And then you know, once he comes down a little bit, it turns out oh, actually they don't they don't mind him so much. He 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 appeals. He and everyone more or less ends up liking him by the end. It's it's I, f- I think the film has a message that like to
0: like you have to genuinely care about someone else, be interested in them and aid them in order to get them through something like this. And you see so many examples that helps Masao lift himself out of the criminal underworld. Like even the people in the criminal underworld recognize that their way of life is dying and um, that he has a chance to live under the open sky rather than being in prison. And acting as a drumbeat to all this is the fact that he's aging and his body is frail, he's got heart condition, so it's like uh, immediate death flags. Uh, Spoiler alert,
2: and and the the you know the moment where he's you know he he thinks he will eventually he'll you know he's had enough of the the legit world he he's ready to go back to the yakuza because that's the only place that'll accept him you know and he has that dinner with his boss and then all of a sudden the boss just you know goes somewhere and he sees that you know the the he's missing a leg and that's like sort of a wake up moment for him and even. What's even more ironic about that scene is he lost it from diabetes. Nothing, you know, nothing, nothing heroic like a a grandiose yakuza fight or war or anything like that. Is just you know getting old, living a terrible lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and like there's so much complexity to his backstory as well because yeah, it the film uh, suggests that like his violent behavior could be due to abandonment issues, um, but also like the the allure of The Yakuza, the fact that it's the only family that he ever really feels comfortable with um, and society is so hostile to him, you can see why he would retreat back into it. And there was always this fascinating tension as to which way he will go. And eventually, like you said, reason prevails and he has to sort of uh, swallow his pride and um, run away from confrontations. And those scenes are really harrowing as well because he's leaving honest people to suffer.
2: Yeah. And I think the film, like you said, it sort of doesn't doesn't um, pull punches. It kind of he has to resort to that, especially in the end, whether he sees that one uh, handicapped or mentally challenged um, nurse. I forget what his official position is. Uh, Nursing. home employee,
0: gardener. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Gardener where he, you know, he can either, you know, he's incapable of moderation. And I feel the film is aware of that. So that's why the only option that he has is to either go full animal or just run away because you know he can not just punch them once and then and then leave he either has to run away or beat them to death and i think that's sort of that's sort of his fatal flaw so to speak the the thing that ends up being his undoing Mm. and you know Obviously, I don't know if that's the reason of his heart condition. Obviously, that would be too much of a stretch. But it is, I think, an interesting, an interesting sim- point of symbolism where you know he is such a, a such a, a creature of extremes, and what ends up killing him is you know a, a condition that is affected by such emotional extremes. You know, your heart stop work, your heart or your heart essentially stop being able to function. Mm. And yeah, Koji
0: Akosho is such a great actor that he sells like every moment of anger and pain and violence.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's so sorry, but just him going from being enraged at someone to apologizing, and saying, sorry, it's my fault uh, or something like that. Is just, you know, I don't think many actors will be able to just pull that transition so, so well as he does. Or well, there are scenes where a conversation just takes a turn and like this nasty yeah. aspect
0: to his character emerges. And it's completely believable throughout the film. So it's like really
2: tense seeing which way he'll go. The only thing is I wished maybe the search for his mother had gone somewhere. I don't think if I'm not mistaken, uh, he he never went anywhere. I, I, he never found, he found as far as he could go is that, you know, all documents were burned or something, but that said, I wish, I wish that had gone a little bit further. Maybe there was, you know, at least he'd found that her mother, his mother was dead, which is feasible since he's pretty old himself
0: yeah i it's kind of like um just like the film says, suggests there are no easy answers in life you you know it leaves it open as to whether he's a product of his environment or if he's in his nature and um it maybe it would be a bit of a cheap out if uh she was alive and uh, there's some reconciliation there or something or he found a grave
2: that's true uh all right, so that was your number two um my number two was a the only Chinese film that I watched, and that was anima. Anima, I don't know if you had the chance to watch this one. No, I have not had the chance to watch it. So this is an interesting film. It takes place. it's I I wasn't exactly sure what part of China. I think it was Mongolia or you know the northern region that bordering Mongolia. But it is about this uh, family who grow grow up in uh, sort of the forest and they're sort of their only means or what they sort of their only connection to civilized society is a wood collecting factory or something. Essentially they go into the forest and cut woods to, to sell. Um, and the when they grow up, that's what essentially they do. But however, the government has gotten uh, too greedy and is c- collecting too many, is cutting down too many trees and, uh, uh, and there's also smugglers who are trying to cut trees and sell them uh, outside, you know, without without the supervision of the government. And you know, this the the main character is is he has a, this very deep spiritual side that believes in uh, all the tree forests, the the tree spirits. And you know, there's rules as to what you're allowed to cut. And once he once either side stops, once everyone stops listening to, him, they just cut trees. Uh, without, without you know, concern for preservation, he just kind of uh, leaves. He decides to escape. Uh, he decides to you know sort of um, uh, separate from them. But then he meets, he meets a woman. He gets married, and then he has to make ends. He has to make money somehow. So he kind of, and the most of the movie is about that. It is a very interesting take on. Sort of dealing with environmental issues, but also dealing with in other words, sort of capitalism as to how do we survive in this how do we coexist with nature when uh part of our existence depends on harming it, and you could you know you can make the case that you could live without without that that sort of you could coexist without that uh, almost parasitic relationship that we have with nature, but it's it's not as easy. As when you're uh, in the beginning of the film, they're just alone in the woods and they're just hunting for food and they're just only cutting uh, whatever they need to. So that they're not and they have very specific rules. But then when, you know, when society is large needs to make a profit, it's you can't you can't obey those rules anymore. So it's uh, and then there's also the personal relationship with the his wife after he marries. He maintains his principles, but they are constantly struggle for money and they barely have anything to eat. And they even have a daughter who spoiler alert ends up dying because of his uh strict adherence to his principles strict adherence or pride 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 exactly yes mm. um and there's uh but there's there's a lot there's a lot that goes on into this film it is one thing that stands out immediately immediately is this beautiful cinematography there's it the film is filled with beautiful shots of the region where the film takes place uh, and I'm presumably shot also in the same place. You know, there's winter landscapes, there's summer landscapes, there's beautiful bodies of water. It's just, it's just an amazing, an amazing achievement in cinematography. And also the actors are very good. It's, it's in a many sense, it's a film also about isolation because the only eventually after, after the 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 main character is sort of is unable to reconcile the you know living a civilized living with civilization and also obeying the rules of sort of of coexisting with nature he can only live by himself so um we get this uh, in fact that's how the film starts it's it's it starts in the future with him just living in the forest and having this like very wild wild and unkempt beard um what i was gonna say and you know he's he kind of remembered so the film is a flashback sort of that's what i was trying to say Mm. Uh, and that's 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 the only way he can sort of Uh, he can uh leave. Uh, He can he can exist. He can survive Mm. in isolation. So is this like an example of slow cinema? Yeah, there's there's actually a lot going on. So there's like yeah, there's smugglers. There's you know like uh, bears. There's fights with bears. uh, There is uh, a tree falling down and almost crushing him, crashing people. So there's it's it's slow at times, but there's also like there's there's quite a little bit going. quite a little bit of going on for um uh for part of it and there's you know like the 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 the, the marital drama aspect of it with him and his wife there's he has a brother and the brother is decides to join the smugglers so there's that aspect and he begs his brother not to join the smugglers but uh he his brother does and ends up you know in the end ends up going to jail for it Mm. so how does this compare to something like the revenant uh, much better, I would say it's much better. They they actually thanks for reminding me that I, I I did not consider it. I mean they're very different, but I I think this is a more nuanced take on the reverend. However, both deal with the same subject. Both deal with the relationship uh, a person's relationship with nature. Uh, but of course, being a Chinese movie, uh, the Chinese government cannot look bad. So it it at the end all all tree cutting operations are closed by the government. The government vows to to. Uh, to take steps to preserve the forests that's how the film ends so obviously that's 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 inevitable but at up up until that point it is a very nuanced take on the on the whole issue yeah so it's it's when you would recommend to people I strongly would recommend I mean, I put it as a number two, so yes <laughs> uh, and the acting is the acting is phenomenal in it the the actors there's there's it's mostly focuses on this one character, the main character was again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna remember what his name is, but uh but it's it's mostly about him uh, and it's sort of his journey i mean he's the one that's sort of re- doing the remembering at the beginning of him so it's sort of his journey to how he ended up in the isolationist state that he is in the present,
0: yeah. Okay, sounds fascinating.
2: It is, it is. And I didn't do the best job at describing it, but it is a a somewhat complex uh, film. And it even has some supernatural elements. Like he believes in the forests of the, in the spirits of the forest. And there's even at one point where they almost manifest themselves.
1: Mm.
0: I think with the nature of like film festivals, you're watching so many films that sometimes they all bleed into one another or you forget details. But there's this one stood out enough for you
2: it, exactly and this was one of the earliest films that i watched so it did and I'm, I'm still remembering scenes from it very vividly mm. uh and just to give to give you know what especially for the last couple of days i've been watching movies nonstop, nonstop, stop back to back trying to fit as many of them as i can in a day so this yeah this definitely stood out for me right so um
1: Number One, number one, and I think we both got the same one at the top of the charts, so uh three
2: two, one junkhead yeah <laughs> exactly uh, yeah that that was my number one as well, but I'll let you start uh start with it
0: so okay um uh, full disclosure, I actually um know uh one of the animators involved in the making this film uh nepotism, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right and um there's going to be an interview uh that's going to be published on my blog soon so please check back um she's very talented animator and um she gives very fascinating answers um but uh junkhead is a film by takahide hori and um it's set in the far, far future where human, the human race has advanced, uh, far enough to achieve immortality through, um, cybernetic bodies and gene manipulation, but they've lost the ability to procreate and there's an epidemic wiping out, um, the populace. So, uh, the humans send an explorer deep down into the earth. Um, you have to, uh, wreck, uh, They actually live in towers, so um, they send the explorer down to uh, lower levels of the towers to find um, mutants that they had created as slave labor and um, recover some genetic material so they can learn, uh, so humanity can learn how to procreate again. And um, this explorer, he gets uh, intercepted by a missile and um, transferred from body to body to body and goes on dangerous adventures as he traverses this dank industrial multi-story landscape and um i've not seen a stop-motion it's done in stop-motion style and i've not seen a stop-motion movie like this like stop-motion movies tend to be fantasy or gothic horror or comedy um this is sci-fi bloody body horror um cool action scenes um fantastic uh dolls like mutants and um robots and uh a
2: huge set which is really evocative like it really sucked me into the world. Yeah, describing the plot on paper is with the plot itself even on paper is great. It's very very original we'll talk about that. I mean, it's you can argue there's nothing original anymore, but but the plot itself is pretty great, but that also it does nothing to describe this movie. Uh you have to see it to actually be able to to really sort of get what it is about. That's just context for this really crazy
0: uh, adventure that we get taken into where we discover like how new ecosystems and a uh, class-based society exists in this industrial horrorscape and all the different monsters that spawn there as well. And um, it's full of black comedy and gore and um, lots of action
2: scenes. It, the, also, I, I have a question for you. Why was, because I'm assuming we both watched the same screener why was that one shot of poop censored i'm not sure i guess it's. Just... i laughed so hard at that because it was like the movie has so much blood and violence but that one thing was censored maybe
0: maybe someone got back and said uh, we'd get a higher age rating if we include that i don't know
2: i don't know but yeah but like you said this is so such a phenomenal sort of achievement especially considering that it was mostly animated by two people
0: it was uh like yeah like two animators uh but you also had uh more people in the team like working on sets and dolls so it was a very small team and it's completely independent so yeah takahide hori's like uh interior decorator by trade and he quit his job to focus full-time on making this film and it took him and his small team years to do
2: yeah, and it was done, no computerized. I don't think any part of it was, I mean, maybe you, you usually smooth out, even when you do it live, you tend to smooth out small things with computers, so that's that's possible, but for the most part it was actual stoke motion with real models painstakingly moved every frame to create the, the whole thing. Mm, yeah, it's like uh, 24
0: frames per second, so there's a lot of dynamism to the models. And the editing and camera work are just so fluid that uh it just keeps the pacing
2: fast. Absolutely the music, the so there's sometimes when there's like he runs, it's just it's so creative. The camera work is so creative. There are if even like there were maybe a couple of instances where I noticed that the edit was like some cuts and this could have been more than just a couple of instances where the a few cuts were awkward. Uh and maybe there was like one or two continuity errors, but honestly they almost they do they add to the charm if nothing else of the film
0: i think what people have got to recognize is like the director had f- like zero experiences a filmmaker before this
2: and you're like you know and those are the things that okay you you kind of you, you try to edit it as, as well as you try to film it frame by frame as well as you can in, in the uh, cutting software in the editing software you're like oh I, I i wish i had a few more frames here and sort of the those instances were uh where would result in some awkward cutting between you know shots but again the fact that i noticed i i don't think any more than a couple of them that i kind of okay this was this was a bit a bit a bit of an awkward cut. but it like i said it it just adds to the charm mm. of you know like the sort of how the film like you know the sort of the nature of the film mm. uh, yeah and it's so unique like uh the world of the mutants
0: um the people who, like maintain um like the tower blocks is just really well realized. It feels like um the existence of a, a proper ecosystem, where you've got like different predators, and um, like you've got a matriarchy running uh the little villages that are dotted around, and uh, yeah, it's like uh like I got references to like HG
2: Wells is the Time Machine. Yeah, there was there was a lot, you know. I have mentioned this a few times on the show, uh, but uh, I am somewhat of a science fiction buff, especially, you know, classic science fiction. And there was a lot of very, some, some very common science fictional tropes or references to science fictional works like, you know, the, the, the separation, the eventual evolution of humans into two sort of in a high strata and a lower strata, uh, like, which was first used in the time machine by H.E. Wells. Um, and of course, in H.G. Wells, one is highly evolved, intelligent humans, and the other is sort of savages. Whereas here, it's a lot more nuanced, but sort of the idea is more or less the same. Mm. I Yeah, and that
0: also wasn't that based on class as well? That the working classes
2: are the Morlocks,
0: and the Eloi are like the aristocracy.
2: Or originally, H.G. Uh, Wells' original idea was to make uh, to crit, to make a a right to. As a thinly veiled criticism of capitalism at the, or what he was seeing victorian lo- London turn to, where you have this very very strict separation of classes uh that just sort of eventually will gonna could, uh, could lead society to ruin as he saw it literally eat the rich
0: yeah, so yeah, it's like a uh, another interesting layer to this sci-fi story which um I'd love to talk to the director about.
2: Yeah, there's a, you know, you get the, there's so much, even though we get very little, uh, you know, we don't, there's not that much time spent in trying to explain all the intricacies of the world. Yet, despite that, you get the sense that this is a really, really rich world, rich universe that the director has created. And it's so, just not, the, the whole, you know, setting is just so original. So not the... The presentation of it is so original that I don't think I've seen anything quite like it. Like you said, it's not only stop motion. I haven't seen anything quite like it, period, in any sort of visual form. For example, you get the impression that in the underground, every level, it's almost its own world. And we get the sense that maybe some people travel between layers, but then others, it's like, have no idea what's going on. Like the guy who sits who sits um, uh, making sure that the lever is in the up position for like 400 years. Mm. Yeah, and you get, that's, that's another common science fictional trope of, you know, ancient technology that nobody really knows what it does or why it needs to be in a certain way, but it's just people have, uh, you know, th- this innate sense of obligation that they have to keep it running. Uh, like, uh, you know, I think there's a, a story by Heinlein where it, with the generation ship and it's been so long that nobody even knows that they're in the ship anymore or how the ship works. They just have these rituals that they have to keep following, which were initially designed to keep the generation ship going, but they just don't really remember anymore. It's just they're just doing it for the sake of doing. Them. And that's what that old guy does. He just makes sure the lever stays up, although all he has to do is just take his hand off of it. <laughs> because he <Yeah. laughs> seems to be the one dragging it down. Yeah. But, yeah, he has no idea what he's doing. And I don't even know if the people in the room know what he's doing. Except they know that these pipes will explode if they don't keep the pressure out of control. But I'm not convinced that they even know what the pipes are there for. Yeah. You know, who knows what thousands of years when those, that second species, I forget what the names were, marigolds? Marigans. Marigans. What they, they were servants of the people and they rebelled and created their own society. And, you know, obviously, there's the, uh, you, you assume that all that underground was built by the people. And was there, you know, like a production, their factories were under there and they lived up there. Or did, did humans live underground and they decided to move out once the Americans rebelled? Like what happened there? Like all those are really fascinating questions that just, this, that they just arise from this rich world that the, the director has made. And the lead character is this like, uh, uh, Detached
0: head which can transfer its consciousness from body to body is a great way to discover this world.
2: Well, he doesn't. He doesn't transfer the consciousness. They just put his head into different bodies. Yeah, because apparently, like, yeah, you have to take this for granted, of course. But apparently, heads because of so much genetic mutation. As long as they have a a a source of energy, a source of nutrition, the heads can survive without the body. Yeah, and I think it is his actual physical head that is, you know, under whatever. Whatever body they put him in, they put him also, you know, different, but I think he does actually have a physical human head underneath. We just don't see it that often.
0: Yeah, like all of the details in the world are fantastic, such as you're looking at Valve Village and you you see like a a workshop where you've got all these tools that have been recreated in miniature form, or you've got the three idiots who are like um, hunters dressed all in black and they've got, they carry boxes, toolboxes with them and inside the boxes they got like knuckle dusters and um machine guns and uh, so rich of details
2: yeah and there's also a lot of phallic imagery in the movie for some reason and that's of course kind of makes it's sort of explained later because they the humans can't reproduce mm. although the merigans can through some strange tree yeah it's it's a bit of a bait and switch yeah although it it does raise the question how have the humans managed this right because the the motivation is that the humans their existence is on the threat because of this virus that has wiped out something like thirty percent uh of the of the population but before that how were they how did they live for thousands of years did so they like artificially reproduce uh like, make they stop
0: reproducing at that point. So, genetic manipulation and um, transhumanism.
2: Okay, but does that mean they just lived longer? Yes, yeah, They achieved a form of immortality. Okay, I see. I see. Which is again another another very common science fictional trope. Mm. Okay. Did you have any uh, favorite characters? Um. The the three the three hunters. Yeah they are my favorite characters yeah they, and it's you know they they they're, they're spoiler alert their end is quite quite heartbreaking Uh yeah i did
0: cry at the end of this one as well but um yeah just uh, uh oh what was i going to say i've lost my train of thought I,
2: I i wonder you know the they're sort of would they if they have achieved some form of immortality because they he does mention that some of us he does say at some point We believe that if you've done good things and you die, you go to heaven. Is that like I wonder if a human uh, would have that notion of death and heaven if they haven't died for hundreds or thousands of years? I guess, I mean, it might just be a throwaway line that they just do it to move the thing forward, but it it made me think a little bit. You've
0: just got to believe, man. Just
2: I think everybody believes in
1: it
0: in this world.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, And yeah, okay. So, anything else about this movie?
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, I
0: just like to recommend that everybody watches it. It's probably one of the most unique things I've seen in many years. Um, this was made before COVID nineteen, so any mentions of uh, an epidemic uh, are uh, coincidental.
2: And it's mostly just a means to justify them having to go underground and go on an epic adventure. Like- yeah, you could replace that with some other excuse, and I don't think it would diminish the film. I don't think the epidemic is central in any way to this. Their ability to their inability to produce is, and I think that's that could be analyzed further. But the epidemic, I wouldn't make too much of it. Yeah. Um, okay, and that's that's why it's my number one because it's I've it's unlike it's it's unlike anything I've seen in general. But it's certainly it's it is harder and harder to find truly innovative science fiction today, and this is certainly one of them. I, yeah uh like
0: science fiction is really expensive to produce and so doing it in stop motion was just a genius move
2: i mean even in stop motion, is probably if you didn't have uh, if you don't have like a a dedicated group of people to do it you know uh, it would be just like any animation which wouldn't be necessarily cheap mm. i think this
0: warrants sort of like a documentary about the making of the film
2: absolutely yeah I mean there is at the the uh, in this copy I don't know if this will be available in all copies but they did show like a little making of uh, vignettes at during the credit scenes
0: yeah actually this is one of the films that's uh, only in theaters so seeing this on a big screen would be an incredible experience
2: absolutely and is this is this um, uh, for the festival is this in person or is this also available online I uh, no, it's in person oh that sucks oh i'm i'm sorry for I, i wish i wish more people could see this uh i mean i could double check but i think it's in person only yeah well hopefully there is a way to get it afterwards for the people who are not going to be able to see this in person because i really think you should watch this mm. um so okay so this was our top five we had different films except uh except for our number one, which you both chose the same film. And that was good because we got to talk about more films. So before, before we close the episode, is there any, would you, I've already sort of hinted to what my honorable mentions were, but what are the films that you just couldn't include in your top five because you just couldn't include everything, but you still enjoyed quite a bit? Uh, Time, a Hong Kong movie about um, aging hitmen. Okay, I have not seen that one.
0: So I thought it would be uh, absolutely, funny comedy because it's about what happens to a hitman when he gets too old and uh, he has to run a noodle shop and um actually it's kind of a heartbreaking uh, look at what it is to age in hong kong um to be s- separate from your family and um isolation loneliness um it features like three legendary actors um from hong kong cinema and it seems like they're giving their last bow and um in the end credit sequence they each sing a part of the song and uh yeah the voices are frail. Okay. Honourable mention number two would be the fable, the killer who doesn't kill. Um so if you've seen the first uh in this series, The Fable, which was screened at New York Asian Film Festival, I want to say twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. If you haven't seen this film, uh no. If you have seen the film, then uh if you have seen the first film, then it's more of the same essentially. If you haven't seen uh the first film, don't worry, you can enter into it blind. Uh the story,
2: which is what I did. Yeah, how did you find the case for me? How did you find the experience? I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I I wasn't. I don't know. I it didn't stand out to me. I did not include it in my honorable mentions. If I said I did, there's not many bad things that I could say about the film, but I found it your fairly typical action comedy-ish sort of film there wasn't that much comedy but there was quite a bit and i i don't know it didn't it didn't stand out enough for me to kind of to be that impressed it. but it was a, a fairly enjoyable film i recommend it
0: yeah it it follows the exact same beats of the first one in the sense that it opens with an action scene and then you have to strap yourself in for like an hour and a half of um story build-up and then you get to a climactic action scene at the very end and um during that sort of hour and a half of story build up i did find um myself wondering if you can make a cut here and all there but then when it got to the end and the fable saves the day <laughs> i was again quite emotional and um, all of that story was justified and the action scenes in this are absolutely fantastic um it's they are very good very very well done yeah it's like physical stunt work very little cg until you get to like this a fight over gantries um you've got cars guns grenades um and fantastic performances from all the characters who uh from all the actors who bring the characters to life
2: yeah i mean i like like you said and like i agreed you don't really have to have watched the first one to get this but i'm kind of wondering if you do need the first one to have a bit more of an emotional connection with the main character because that's that's what i felt was lacking for me i didn't necessarily have that strong of an emotional connection with the the, the fable, the, the protagonist.
0: Yeah, I, I believe so, because it does more to establish their characters in the first one, why they're hiding out in Osaka, how they've had to adjust, and the people they've yeah. come into contact with. But this, like the fable, the killer who doesn't kill, is still an excellent action romp. It is an excellent the action film, yes. Like uh, Japan doesn't produce that many great action films, so this is one of the best. Um, Escape from Mogadishu is another honorable mention. Uh we've already discussed that. And I suppose my uh final honorable mention is I don't fire myself, which is Okay,
2: which I have not seen.
0: Absolutely fascinating um drama about a contract worker, a female contract worker who's sent to like a subsidiary company uh where she has to help repair power lines, and um, it deals with um uh, misogyny in the workplace, but also like the tough working culture, both office work and uh, manual labor in Korea, and um, it does so through this uh, uh main character's um journey as she integrates herself into this small unit of people who um climb up electrical pylons and fixes them. There's some uh there's drama in it as well um. And lots of great landscape shots as you're like taking in views of the coast from atop of these pylons.
2: All right. So my honorable mentions. Most of them were already talked. So it's three sisters, Samjin Company, English class, Joint Under the Open Sky, Ninja Girl, uh, and one that we haven't hasn't been. I don't think has been mentioned so far is Hand Rolled Cigarette, mm. and that uh, is a, a sort of a Hong Kong action film. Um. That, melodrama it it reminded me a lot of the heroic bloodshed genre okay and and uh there's not that much gunfighting but there's a lot of bloodshed <laughs> uh and uh it's about it's about uh, there's you know it sort of tangentially deals with racism there's this uh ex a british army officer in hong kong that sort of got, got um you know obviously after the handover he was no longer part of the british army so he got involved with the triads and he's sort of is kind of thrust into with an indian he sort of finds himself protecting an indian immigrant uh who is involved in uh, cocaine smuggling and he initially does it for the money uh because he believes the indian can get him uh, the indian immigrant is uh, a mostly it's a young man really is he's just protecting him for the money because he believes he can get him the money that enough money for him to get out of debt but then sort of he becomes he becomes as you know typical the formula for these kinds of movies he becomes close getting closer and ends up in the end ends up protecting him and ends up dying in the end uh so it's that kind of film uh there's you know like they keep everybody keeps calling the indian immigrants brownies which is sort of i guess the derogatory term that they use and the film is trying to kind of shed light into that although it, it still i felt the film was throughout even even when he was when he had good intentions he was a little bit condescending towards this uh this group of immigrants but uh it was other than that it was your typical action film but it was really well done in the style he was he had this neo-noir style with uh, you know traces of the heroic plot genre that i really enjoyed uh, there was an action scene at the end which is then in a single take right yeah that was phenomenal mm. And yeah, it's like uh, it's
0: set in a Chungking mansions and in Chungking Express, you see Indian immigrants and drug dealings. So it's kind of like offering you that insight that Chungking Express shied away from.
2: Uh, But uh, th- th- those are pretty much my honorable mentions. I really wanted to kind of look at I, I was hoping the uh, uh, Asian-American would be anything not worthy. The only film that I watched from that category was Snakehead. And um, why well, you know it it dealt with in with a serious subject and obviously deserves credit for that as a film it did not really I'm not sure if you enjoyed it more than I did but it I don't know it didn't do it for me there was like some of the dialogue was awkward um, I I don't know I didn't I didn't care that much for it
0: uh, it's kind of, it reminded me of a prophet in the sense that you've got this outsider I have not seen that one ah oh, yeah the Jacques Audiard film um, so you've got this outsider who like learns the ropes of uh, being a criminal and rises to the top of a gang. Okay. Um, I did like some of the family drama surrounding the matriarch of a crime gang. And to- oh,
2: that, That's true. And I actually wrote that in my notes. Yeah, the, the relationship, the mother-son relationship was is the most interesting aspect of the film.
0: Yeah, it's, um, great performances on that side. And it's really well shot. There's some beautiful uh, scenery and uh, seeing uh, wintry New York landscapes. Good cinematography, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it's worth uh, it's worth taking a chance on it. Uh, you might not be so invested in the character's journey, but it's they got all these other elements which work.
2: My take on it would be, you know, if you if you've seen all the other films that we over already recommended, and you still want to spend money on on the festivals, watch Snakehead. But if you're only going to watch a limited number of films, I would recommend a lot of the other ones before Snakehead. Hmm. Um, that that's uh. That that was that that would be my take on it. But other than yeah, I, I think, and even that that was probably my list. Oh no, that was not my least favorite. My least favorite was a City of Lost Thing, was a a Taiwanese film, an animated Taiwanese film, which it wasn't terrible. I just found it rather forgettable. Forgettable, and it has probably one of the worst named characters of any film. Okay, uh, there is uh, it's a plastic bag. The film, you know, the protagonist, the, one of the, the main characters of the film is a plastic bag, an animated plastic bag. But there's a plastic bag that lives in a society full of plastic bags, and his name is Baggy.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> and every, but everyone else is also a plastic bag, yet he gets to get named Baggy. I don't know, that just, maybe it doesn't, maybe won't bother anyone else, but just that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, but even that wasn't a. Bad film. It was just I don't know, kind of meh. Uh, didn't didn't care for it, and that's 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 the, really the worst I can say about it. Mm. But otherwise, every film, every other film that I that I watched just was was a pleasant experience for me.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, same here. And I think that's like one of the great things about New York Asian Film Festival is that you've got so many high quality films coming from so many different territories. So you're gonna get so lots of different experiences and styles.
2: I, was, I mean their reputation, they they there's a reason why they have their reputation that they do. Mm. yeah, extremely
0: well curated set of films.
2: So I think I think this is a good point to end our episode. Uh we like we mentioned the details of the festival in the beginning. I highly encourage everyone to check out to check it out and you know, pick the films. Maybe you can pick the films that we discussed and recommended, or you know, if you just browse the list and you see something that you like, you can you don't have to buy a pass, you can just purchase the which films you want to watch individually but we highly recommend check it out and i'm not going to bother repeating the links again it's i'm just going to remind everyone that the festival starts uh on august 6th and then it goes on until august 22. some films are released on specific dates and i believe some films are available for longer ranges if i'm not if i'm not right
0: yeah so for example junkhead is only available Saturday August 21st at 9:45 p.m. at the SVA Theater.
2: Yeah, because that's in person only. Yeah. yeah.
0: So be there or be square.
2: Yeah. So that so that so you know if you you and this released so today as as of the time of this recording is August 1st and it will probably be released later today by Nor- North America time. Um so you'll have plenty of time to catch up and check out the festival and I strongly recommend it. Uh, the links will be available in the description and in the podcast website, so you can uh, you know click on those and uh, navigate to the festival's website uh, directly. And uh, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. It's, uh, like I said, one of the most popular, if not the most popular Asian film festival in North America. And it, there's a reason why it has that reputation, because it, it presents us every year with some really excellent selections from various can- countries in Asia. So I think with that, we're going to end our episode today, unless is there anything that you'd like to close with or plug uh, before we end the episode, Jason?
0: Well, I've got to say uh, thank you to the New York Asian Film Festival team for allowing us the chance to watch all of these films and to record this special uh, edition of the podcast. Um, uh, good job on all of the films uh, that have been selected, uh, not a weak one amongst them. And um, for listeners i hope you have the opportunity to share in these films if you do please let us know via social media uh twitter accounts at heroic purgatory um and also the website as well please leave a comment and i uh, hope you have the chance to enjoy them
2: yeah and we'll be sure to you know keep you up to date with not only the heroic uh, purgatory twitter account but also with our own personal twitter account i'm probably going to tweet out info related to the festival and whatnot. Just to be sure that whoever is following can will be reminded. Um, so, and if you you know obviously the usual links. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us at theheroic-purgatory.blogspot.com or our Twitter is at uh, heroic-purgatory, all in one word. Uh, we we haven't done our individual Twitters. Would you like to say what the, your handle for your Twitter is? Uh sure. At filmnohito,
0: H I T O. Okay, uh, I'm going to be tweeting out reviews that, I've, uh, that I do on my blog and
2: vCinema. Okay, and you know mine is at mildly underscore sci fi, uh, um, and I usually don't, re- I barely tweet, but I usually retweet relevant things, and I will certainly be either tweeting or retweeting things relevant to the New York Asian Film Festival. So you can. Um, you can stay up to date if you do follow me. Otherwise, this is our episode. We have not quite decided what we'll do uh, the, for the next episode. Uh, we might do another special, or we might just return back to the coverage of our 90s uh, Asian cinema. We'll certainly keep you up to date through social media. Otherwise, we, we do really hope that you uh, check out the New York Asian Film Festival, and uh, otherwise, have a great time watching these movies.